What is up, everyone? Welcome to Legit Cool, my podcast where I talk about movies and TV series. And today is a very special episode. We're going to be diving straight into Phase 4 of the Muffs and Mac universe. And I'm joined today by two very special sweaty nerd guests to tackle this monster of an episode. Joining me today, we have Nathan Sammy. Yo. Hey, everyone. What up? What up? Is this your first time doing a podcast? It's like my first time ever. I'm oh quite my excited. God. You sound yeah. professional anyway. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Where do you come from, by the way? Just just being being cool. Uh, I um I'm I'm from Sydney, uh, but I'm a bit of a mixed everything. I'm Fijian Indian on my dad's side, and I'm Australian born Chinese on my mum's side. Oh my god. Grew up in the hills and all my family's in New Zealand. So Damn. Uh, what? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just uh everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> You're actually a globetrotter, aren't you? A little bit, yeah. I uh I hate I hate this darn pandemic for the inability to travel. It's <laughs> it's destroying me. Damn. <laughs> but we have we have Marvel movies to travel the exactly, world. Exactly, exactly. We have Marvel movies and you guys are the experts here. And our other guest today is JC Lucas. Thank you for having me. This is a great experience. Is this your first time as well? Uh, not on a podcast, no. But uh, I'd like to think maybe uh, I can take previous experiences and improve on this one. So, yeah, Ooh, be interesting. Okay. Different approach talking about Marvel. Um, I think the other ones have just been uh, just you know goal setting, goal setting, and you know about life approaches. And this is oh. a kind of a nerdy approach. This is kind of fun. Wow. That's some serious podcasting right there. We've got a lot to learn from you. <laughs> so um, as you guys know, this is phase four, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we, we've got so much to get through. And I, I want to take you guys through how we're going to break down the episode. But before we get into that, let's just cue the intro and then we'll jump straight into it. Let's go. God damn! Is that intro too long? <laughs> nah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, actually, I, I so like you it. You shouldn't rush something like it's that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I've actually had some people go, "Well, what is that song?" It's like I'm too scared to actually tell people what that song is because I might get slapped with some kind of copyright. JC, you know who this no, artist is, right? Actually, no. But you don't I know. it's catchy. Yeah. I'll I'll Shazam it. <laughs> well, Google now play exactly. It. <laughs> Shazam it. Is it embarrassing? No, 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 no. It's um, uh, he's actually a local. His name's Maxwell. He's a oh, beatmaker. Right. You know Maxwell? He's yeah, the guy yeah, with the yeah. long curly hair. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Super talented beatmaker. No, I didn't know it was him. Okay, interesting. Yeah. He actually recently, um, he was a guest judge on Spell's podcast. Oh, not Spell's podcast. Spell's Twitch channel. Mm. You know DJ Spell. Spell. Yep. Yeah, he had like a whole beatmaker battle thing going on, and then he invited mm. um invited uh yeah Maxwell on to be a guest judge. Mm. That was pretty cool. Um, anyway, <laughs> we're not to talk about <laughs> DJs and and uh, beatmakers as mu- as much as uh, how good this he could is. Could be a cold open. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> um, so phase four, Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've got heaps to get through. We're gonna just go through actually eight entries, which will. I'll list exactly what those eight entries are, 
Um, we're going to break this up into three sections and we're looking at about a two hour runtime here, or it could be a little bit longer. Who knows? It depends on how nerdy these guys get. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be fun. It's going to be really, really fun. So the first segment, we're going to talk about WandaVision, Falcon, Loki, Black Widow, What If, Shang-Chi, Eternals, and then finishing off with Hawkeye. And then the second segment, we're going to be... Did we say ranking? I actually can't even remember what we said. <laughs> Did we say that we're going to rank all yeah, the ranking. MCU? Right. We're going to rank all the MCU entries. So that's starting from Iron Man all the way up to Hawkeye. Um, yeah. And then we'll give a quick review on Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Far From Home. And then we'll get into our theories and what we expect in Spider-Man No Way Home. And then perhaps what is the future for Phase 4 beyond that? Are you guys up for this? Let's get it. <laughs> Let's do it. Oh, man. Got so much to say. We have <laughs> a lot to say. We have a lot to say. So I guess I'm just going to start this by, tell, like, I guess informing the audience on where exactly are we in the timeline, all right? So the designated time that we have for the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Earth 19999. Again, that is Earth one triple nine double nine. I sound like a phone, right? <laughs> Make sure you call us on Earth one triple nine double nine. So that is the designated timeline. And in order for us to understand that timeline, we clearly need to go back to Avengers Endgame and how that sets up the timeline moving forward. What do you guys reckon? Who actually wants? I'm actually interested. Who wants to take a quick stab at where we are when we get to One Division? Where we are, um, as in timeline-wise, post-snap. Yeah, post-snap. I mean, I got the facts right here, but I'm just interested to see how, what level of nerdy knowledge you guys have when it comes to the timeline. No. <laughs> because I know that it's definitely not going to be as depth, as in-depth as you guys. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can save you guys the pain and just tell you exactly. Uh, I have a, like, the fair idea is that Wanda's been for a few months at least post post Endgame and Return of Endgame, like, dealing with the grief of losing Vision. Okay. So, so when you say I post, like, like, do you mean, like, uh, post the Avengers, one day like, later, the, or do you war. think, like, one like, week I think later? A, f- a, few, a few months, maybe. Okay. Because mm. um, I feel like there's a, a bit of a set, settling down, and you get a bit of an idea from... Like from Monica Rambeau because you have her like re-exiting the blip and finding herself in the hospital, and it's only it's not too long later that she's returned to Shield. Oh, okay. And she's investigating okay. this thing. So that's some really yeah. good insights because because you're not too far off the mark. But let me just give you some real facts here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so One Division takes th- is approximately three weeks after Endgame, and we know this because Monica Rambeau has an experience like what you're saying she has an experience of the um blipping back into reality and then after that she has a moment with the acting director do you remember he's actually called the acting director tyler haywood mm-hmm. um and he says it's been three weeks and you're the first person to report as in you're the first uh, person yeah. a part of this sword agency to report back mm. so we know that it's exactly three weeks after um i'm just gonna I'm just going to quickly go through the synopsis, but out of interest, like, what were your first impressions of WandaVision? Do you think it was a good start to Phase 4? Do you think it was okay? What are your thoughts? 
Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that I think coming into uh, WandaVision and with all the trailers that they put forth, no one really knew the direction that the series was going to go. And even in the first few episodes, you're like, okay, this has some comedy about it, it has some mystery. And even from myself, I was like a little bit skeptical about uh, WandaVision being the first entry post Endgame to like, how is it, how is the cinematic universe going to go forth from here? Because they have a lot, lot, I guess, big shoes to fill. And right. I thought if they're just going to go straight down this whole, let's just go through another saga, maybe people are going to get bored. But they had this um, ingenious approach of going, let's have like a mystery slash comedy slash da 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 da. And uh, right. the first, you know, I think it was the first four episodes, you don't really know what's going on. Um, are we allowed to talk about spoilers here? I mean, do I have to give a spoiler yeah, alert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I actually totally <laughs> forgot about the spoiler alert, but I'm just going to... I might just write it in the show notes or something. People just should just know that if we're going to cover the entire Phase 4, it's sort of implied. But yeah, yeah, spoiler warning for all of those who are a little bit worried about it. Go ahead. All, all I'll say all is that our when I, I noticed <laughs> the ratings after Episode 5 went up, and I, and I think, you know, if you guys know what happens in Episode 5, five right at the end, you're like, what the hell? And it makes you more and more interested about what is going to happen in the following three episodes. So I wouldn't say it was a weak start. I definitely found that it was very intriguing. Like, okay, where are the, what is this series about? Where is it going? Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I, right. I thought it was a, it was interesting. And then it just got better over time. Nice. Right. Yeah. All right. Nathan? Yeah, so like for me, I really like was excited for what the MCU would be doing moving forward and i think when we get later into this cast yeah i i I don't feel as if i i've been fully satisfied by the end of all of this but starting with one division was really exciting for me partly because uh up until probably like black panther thor ragnarok Mm. i felt there was a starting to be a bit of that formulaic marvelness and then i think once yeah it would have been black panther and maybe this is outside of Guardians, but like Black Panther, Thor, Ragnarok, there started just be this tonal shift where it's like, let's shift <clears throat> genres. Let's not think of superhero films as a genre, but like let's shift genres. And so One Division was just really exciting. Firstly, because it was like the first Marvel TV show, so it set a tone for saying, hey, even though this is TV, there's still going to be a budget. There's still going to be uh, intrigue. You're still going to have like a level actors, Mm. movie, film actors. Uh, And then I really just enjoyed so much what those first four episodes did, where it was, you have no idea what's going on. And I watched them all with my partner, Hannah. And I remember that for each of us, end of every episode, we'd be like, oh my gosh, like what's next? Uh, And once each episode would evolve into the next decade's Mm. worth of like TV tropes and vibes like that that got us really excited mm. and then yeah maybe this is what i'll uh, talk about later but like the marveliness kind of ticked in after like that big reveal is it episode mm. five yeah sure like episode five and six and once monica enters in where you've got the breaking of the fourth wall but it's like there started to be some stuff from the outside which kind of it kind of bugged me a bit yeah mm. you know it's interesting you say that the the formula maybe came back a little bit more obviously in in episode five and six you know, the funny thing is like i really enjoyed this tv series that it had a strong start i loved episode one loved episode two they didn't give you mm. 
too much, right? Like they were breadcrumbing pretty hardcore in the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. And then episode three, we start to get a bit more momentum behind the story. But then as it got to like episode five and six, I was like, huh, I mean, it's good. There's, there's, there's action going on. There's a bit of conflict between the two visions that we see at the end of it. Yeah. But I, I don't know, like the action just seemed a little bit cheap to me. Mm. And maybe it's yeah. because they ran out of budget or something. I don't know. The the effects weren't just coming; they weren't they weren't being displayed like how a normal Marvel property would be displayed. And it might have been yeah. budget constraints, and it might have been time constraints, or whatever. But I just felt the TV series was taking a little bit of a dive. Um, mm. That, but the the beginning, like first episode, episode two and three and four, those were really really good. They were the best out of. All the episodes for sure, and then five yep. and six were just okay. Were, were there six or eight actually? Right, eight, eight should have been right. Eight. Yeah, eight. oh yeah, and but uh, yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at the IMDb because it, it lists nine. On yeah, there, that's right. There's nine episodes. Um, I, I guess like yeah. the rest of the episodes were a little bit more forgettable. Um, yeah, I every, like. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say like every time I think about One Division, I only think about the first half of the series. Mm. And that's kind of my biggest takeaway from that. Yeah. I think with that, I found like there were like the eeriness that once, once the world starts to break and like vision starts to explore and there's that bit where he goes to the outer limits of the town and there's this like, what's going on Yeah, that like that, that got that intrigue back up. Um, I think anything on the outside was a bit tiresome only if um, like, I actually really love that. It's like, yeah, let's get, a side character from Thor, from Ant-Man and from Captain Marvel and bring them all in. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And it, it's something that really starts to pay off when you get to what if, because like that sense of, ah, oh, now there is an overlap and interconnectedness, this is true. but then there is an isolation as well. Yeah. And I do wonder if like, aside from the budget constraints, like part of it, and it is frustrating, but part of it was the pandemic. And true, true. that's, that's kind of frustrating too. Like, yeah. um, and and I wonder if that might be something that crops up again for some of the other shows because I I felt with some other shows I I found pacing really frustrating. Yeah. Um, week to week. Interesting. And I think it was that week to week. I yeah. actually don't even know this about you either. <laughs> <laughs> you care you care about CGI and all that. I care about pacing. Mm. Oh, like, I mean, I'm I care about. I'm all about that. Right. I'm all about that whole like Sorry. film um, arsenal. Like it, a great mm. film has to have the entire ingredients, like all the ingredients put together in order for it to be somewhat engaging and very entertaining. So this is actually the first installment of phase four, which is super interesting because, you know, directly after WandaVision, we have Falcon, right? But then after Falcon, we actually have Spider-Man Far From Home. Did you guys actually realize that? You're talking about in the timeline? In the timeline. Yeah. We're talking about in the timeline. Yeah. 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 So, so far from home actually takes place nine months. I I believe it's nine months is what I wrote down here. Uh, Six Mm -hmm. months, sorry. Six months after Endgame. So, so one division is three weeks after Endgame and then Falcon and Winter Soldier is about eight months. So far from home is actually before Falcon and Winter Mm. Soldier. That's pretty fascinating, right? Mm. And Mm. actually what, this is a, massive move for marvel and a really unexpected move to release a tv series to start off phase four now, i was actually thinking mm. that um black widow was going to be the start of phase four and i guess if we think about the pandemic that happened in 2020 
I'm pretty sure, like, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure Black Widow was supposed to be the start of Phase 4, which is mm. interesting because that's actually back in 2016. Mm. Mm. Like, I guess it had that same kind of energy as Captain Marvel, which released in between Infinity Wars and Endgame, yeah. where, and it's unlike Captain Marvel, which is set back in the 90s, mm. like Black Widow is set between that time period. Yeah. So it, it kind of gives that, like, like, Far From Home, it's like, wow, well, what's happened generally after Endgame? And then if you were to start with Black Widow not long after that, what's happened just before, where was she, what was going on for her. So Yeah. yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the properties, was it Doctor Strange that got moved, like Multiverse of Madness? Well, recently, recently they've had a massive shift in the, in the release dates because Spider-Man, actually this doesn't affect Spider-Man No Way Home, but I know that they've done reshoots recently for Spider-Man. Mm. Um, with Doctor Strange, however, all these titles that are coming out next year, they've been pushed back a few months Right. Um, I can bring that up in a sec. But... There was there was definitely something where I heard that I think uh, Elizabeth Olsen was in a, a conversation with another, uh, what's her name? A Kelsey, uh, is it Kelsey Porker? Or she was in a conversation on YouTube where they were talking about how she had just finished wrapping up WandaVision and then was going over to shoot Multiverse of Madness. Uh... And there was a shift in release dates for something. Or was Loki meant to be later on and they moved it forward? I kind of, there's been so many shifts with uh, the series and the movies, and I, I've just kind of lost track on when they're all coming out. I'm just, uh, at the yeah. at this stage, I'm just excited when they are close to release date as opposed to yeah. figuring out when they're actually all coming out. Because I guess that's somewhat irrelevant when we're talking about them. But um, yeah, there's just been so many shifts. Well, on that, though, as well, like, I think it is interesting because each of those different shifts would have meant some things go before and some things go after. Mm. And that would have, I think, meant some reshoots. And I think some things which did definitely happen where um, story-wise, so definitely a spoiler for something that's just happened in Hawkeye, <laughs> coming, <laughs> coming through from uh, Black Widow, you wouldn't have felt like how close that is because we've just watched Black Widow. Yeah, that's true. If it had come out back in 2019, mm, yeah. um, this last episode would have been like, whoa, <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh yeah, that's right. That around, also yeah? happens. And funny thing is, like people that watch that movie, the vast majority, let's say like eighty percent of the audience members that saw Black Widow wouldn't have seen the stinger in the credits. Mm. No, um, yeah, true. And so, it's... <laughs> but then also those people wouldn't potentially have been quite invested in Falcon and Winter Soldier, exactly, and also know much about uh, Val and what's going on with, um, Thunderbolts. Uh, well. I know. So, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Before we actually like, <laughs> so much stuff. <laughs> before we just explode into a whole bunch of theories. Um, so uh, what, you know, one division is a blend of, is, is a blend of different classic sitcoms. Uh, you know, obviously they really do that in episode one, two, three, and four, they sort of lose track a little bit. Oh, not lose track, but, um, they get into more modern sitcoms later. How did you guys, what do you guys think about the style that they took, the approach? Because there's definitely a plot point to how, uh, to us discovering what Wanda has been through, especially like in her like formative years. And I was always wondering why they're going with this whole sitcom approach. But when they connected those dots with her background, her past, like, what did you guys think of that? Did you think that was a really good way to show her arc grow a bit more? Because I wasn't expecting that. I was always wondering 
is, okay, what are they going to do with her arc? Like we've kind of experienced her arc already through Age of Ultron, through Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. I feel like we we got part of her arc, I suppose. There was a little bit of a finality to it in, in a way. I was actually interested to see what they were going to do more with her arc. How did you guys think about that? Ooh, it's like a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so are you, t- are you referring to like how it was my, okay, this is my take. I could be completely wrong about this, but given that the way she grew up um, and you know, how was that in, was that highlighted? It was highlighted in Bond division, like how um, her parents were killed, etc. And also uh-huh. we meet them in, in age of Ultron. Um, but are you, feeling or it, my understanding is that they were showing she was trying to find some sort of happiness with family and traveling exactly. through these different time periods to fi- felt, find what's right i yeah. mean i could be wrong but yeah well i i, I guess like she decided to um, make this whole world about the sitcoms that she grew up with because the sitcoms that she grew up with was probably a way to to escape the was it during the fall of no it wasn't during the fall of the soviet union because i think it was like in the early two thousands or something like that, right? Or mid two thousands. Yeah. Well, her family is technically from fake countries. fake countries. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. So yeah. Not, nothing to do with uh, <laughs> the fall of the Soviet Union. So let's just say it's like the equivalent for Sokovia. Mm. Um, mm. And I guess we know it's in the mid two thousands because Stark's weapons are used to destroy Sokovia. So and then also the TV shows and the TV shows were, were kind of the. <laughs> The, the fallback, like the, the mm. rescue for her. And I think it was really just for her, though, not necessarily mm. for the family. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think like that, that, like that story progression was really, really um, touching. And I really, I really appreciated it. Mm. I thought it was very cool. And being of a similar age, I grew up with most of those TV shows, obviously not the. 50s and 60s but we used to watch like i dream of genie and all that kind of stuff did you on tv when we were little yeah yeah we had like i um, think i only watched brady bunch when i was when when i was a kid oh brady bunch yeah yeah well we watched brady bunch for sure but we had uh you know little rich kids foxtail which is very much a geographically pointed uh sydney uh what is it uh pay pay tv (laughs) and i remember they used to have like a channel which had a lot of old tv shows actually been around that long yeah, 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 so I'd watch like I Love Lucy, and we'd watch like I Dream of Jeannie, okay. and definitely watch heaps of Brady Bunch. But then shows I grew up with were definitely Malcolm in the Middle, okay. and I think that was the one that I loved the most. Like that was just very fun. That was really clever, like the um, breaking the fourth wall stuff, sure. which the son does. Mm. And uh, I just yeah, I thought that was really cool. I think what I again felt, and this was even like right at the beginning with all of this phase, was the later episodes in this, I kind of wish that they hadn't given up on those, those elements mm. once that fourth wall was broken. Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so this is a very specific reference as well. Do you guys have watched the TV show Fairly Odd Parents on Nickelodeon? No, no. I've never even it's heard of that. Really, it's a very funny little cartoon TV show <laughs> uh, about a young boy whose, kids ne- whose parents never pay attention to him and he actually ends up uh, getting some fairy godparents that are literal fairies and they grant him wishes and there's this really clever little that sounds dope <laughs> yeah oh, it's such a good show it is so funny and um i can't remember the godfather's name but he's so hilarious right. there's an episode where he gets a, like, a magic tv remote and 
he's able to hop into the TV similar to the Simpsons mm. and you jump in between the different channels and there's this whole chase between him and his babysitter which is trying to get his magic remote and they're both jumping through channels and as they do the cartoon styles change and the animation changes at one point they're Muppets and, um, and I kind of wish there was something like that at the end where mm. there was a reintegration of all of this really pointed TV show stuff kind of coming back in her, yeah, I know that that was something I wanted maybe true, for the show, true. and I feel like it just kind of dropped off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know the um, the <laughs> I actually thought they were gonna do so much more with um, what's his face, Pietro Maximoff, who ends up being Evan mm. Peters. Like what the? Okay, so that's episode five, five. I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. episode five. Yeah. Um, when that happened. <laughs> when that actually happened, how did you guys, what kind of emotions were you guys going through? What, what kind of like, what was the thought process as soon as you jumped on screen? Like, did you guys immediately think this is how they do the X-Men? Be honest, be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought initially. I was like, oh, they're setting up the X-Men now. Or is it, are they setting up the multiverse, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, that was my initial thoughts. I was like, well, it was at the end of the episode, so you have to wait and see anyways. So, mm. Yeah. God, God. This is just gonna get this is gonna get into the Spider-Man of it all because okay. it got me so excited, but I didn't see a clear way through to merging Fox X-Men with the MCU. Mm. And I thought maybe that would be something that could happen. And something that Spider-Man Fire From Home does with J. Jonah Jameson at the very end of mm. it. Where it's like, okay, what if there is the same characters with similar stories, but they are different versions, like a multiverse kind of vibe uh and now with spider-man no way home there may be something more from that but i was so disappointed (laughs) at the end of the show (laughs) when it was a bit of a troll and i um i'm not i'm not really a fan when uh, and it's hard because i think we like many others would also follow podcasts follow youtubers Mm. follow twitter where there's so much theory going on um, that part of what disappoints us is our own expectations yep. and the expectations of fans. Mm. But the harder part is, and this is <laughs> something of what happened with Star Wars, maybe, uh, is that those fans get pushed back, not from each other or from the expectations, but actually intentionally from the creators of shows mm. or movies. And that's really upsetting. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> you know, actually, um, I watched Matt Shackman's interview on WandaVision and obviously they brought up that question what was this whole thing about with uh, Evan Peters being <laughs> the Quicksilver in this universe actually I'm not sure if it was Matt Shackman's interview or Jack Schaefer's I, I think it might have been Jack Schaefer's interview mm-hmm. um, yeah they basically just say oh well we're given opportunities now to just work with different characters now that 20th Century Fox is a part of Marvel Studios. We just get an opportunity to do whatever we want with these characters. And we just thought it might have been nice and fun to introduce a character that we've seen in the 20th Century Fox. And that's really about it. And I was like, really? That's all you're going to give us? That's, that yeah, the, that's... There was no reason other than the fact that they just can. And there was no real connection to a multiverse happening or mm. a crossover yeah. of X-Men characters. It, it's like... I, I think Marvel Studios are trying to be super meta with that because, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of meta storytelling, right? Like we know that the 20th Century Fox has merged, but we, according to viewers, let's say like the non-MCU viewers, according to viewers, 
They have no idea what's going on. Yeah. They just think, okay, there's an X Men character, but it doesn't actually mean much to them. It's just like, mm. yeah, it's just a, mm. another like X Men character, whatever. But mm. then to us, we're like, oh, this is it. But then it's not it. It was kind of the biggest bait, like ever. And and I'm and I'm like you. Yeah. I'm like you. Like when I got to the end of the season. And not even knowing if they've greenlit a season two, I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's such a huge disappointment. It's harsh. Yeah, I just wonder it's if there's like more diminishing returns and doing stuff like that. And but that's yeah. No, I was gonna say, but that's it. That's what Feige's doing. He's he's inserting all these little breadcrumbs. He says, "Oh, I want to make you think about this," and then you know, uh, switch you over to something else. So you know, like, there's a lot going on. They obviously set up like Wiccan and Speed. Mm. Um, look. We talk about Hawkeye having so many stories opening up, but if you look at One Division, there was a fair few as well. There was, yeah, um, there was. I probably should have done a review on Marvel One Division. Still can, still can. You got some extra, extra still episodes can. to sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, with with that, and so I wrote this, and I feel like this might be helpful saying it now because then you could just refer back to. It. I only wrote like one big note when I was like thinking of what to talk about with like with our little cast mm-hmm. today, but. My biggest questions for phase four, which kind of kept going through my head, was that sense of with every episode seemingly, and this isn't just in one division, but all of these shows, one thing might change by the end of an episode or one question might be raised mm-hmm. that um, that isn't about like the MCU, but it's about the story in that show. And so in one division, like you, you fed, fed breadcrumbs of what's going on for Wonder and what's going on for Vision. Uh, until you start to get some answers at the end. But I felt like with this show and with most of the others, it seemed like phase four was like a stopping gap to get people excited for something in phase five or like further along in, in Marvel. And it wasn't as interested in telling those those characters' stories. Mm-hmm. And so my, my biggest thing is, is this all you're going to do with these characters? Like this is your chance to show wonder, show vision, uh, or for oh, who's it what's another yeah i'd say falcon and winter soldier mm. like are these just going to be opportunities or stepping stones to something else and if so that's a bit of a shame because kind of you you get these chances and if you let these chances go by it's going to be a long time or they might never reproduce yeah, these that's actually a really and i think we point. saw that with spider-man you know like we saw that with andrew garfield's series of spider-man mm. they started making more Spider-Man movies for a different generation. But more of that was to keep the rights to Spider-Man. Exactly, mm. exactly. Keep the rights yeah. within the Sony court. That's actually a really mm. interesting point because um, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago. With all the series that are happening, I'm I'm wondering how many of these main characters, because remember Kevin Feige said that he wanted to do these series to tell more stories of the characters that usually play supporting roles mm. um, in all the films. So... Uh, and this is going towards more your point. How much more do we get to see of them in the future films, future TV series? I mean, is this their swan song? And if it is, is it a little bit of a letdown? I can I can say for sure that for one division, if this is the last time that we see Vision, which I, I mean I don't think that's going to be the case, then I think that's a very disappointing way to say goodbye to him. We know that Wonder is going to be appearing in Doctor Strange Two: Multiverse of Madness. Um, she's actually over in London, still still filming it. Mm. Um, yeah, like it, it would be a disappointment to see these main characters that we've been introduced to in Phase Two and Three 
uh, to say goodbye. But I don't think it's it's the case. I mean, I'm pretty sure Kevin Feige and his team are smart enough to know not to do stuff like that, to leave major mm. characters unspoken about or or developed even further. Yeah, I, I want to add to Nathan's point. Like, I really think that's he, it's. I agree with that. Like, I do feel a little bit like Phase Four has just been. I don't want to call it filler, but it's almost like these are just seeds to plan for something else. So to answer if it's going to be a swan song for a lot of these characters, I don't think so. I think they're getting the chance to be showcased in a way that, you know, we've been noted for being supporting characters, but this is our time to shine. And whilst we don't have, like you said, WandaVision is going to appear in Doctor Strange, we don't know what's going to happen with Vision. Maybe he might appear randomly that we haven't really seen. Mm, Um, We know that, you know, well, we haven't gotten to the other shows yet, but as you see, like, you know, you can see that each story uh, or character has a story that they needed to go through their arc for that particular series. Was Falcon and Witcher Soldier wasn't going to have a second season, right? That wasn't announced. Nothing's been announced so no. far. But um, only only Loki it, it was announced to have a second only season. Only Loki, yeah, yeah, only Loki. And yeah. did what if? Like, I feel like Falcon could lead to a new Captain America yeah. movie. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But well, they're I somewhat. Think that's what, that's what I felt like they were leading towards. Yeah, yeah. And I think it would be, uh, it would be assuming of us to say like, okay, we're going to assume Bucky's going to be in that as well, but we don't know because we don't know what it's going to be about. So, um, yeah. but I think Feige. Oh, sorry, no. Let's come back to to one division. Yeah, let's just quickly like wrap this one uh, division no. up. Um, but well, I, I was going to say maybe this is a helpful sampling of a big idea that might keep cropping up as we go through mm. these. So hopefully. Mm following that's this. a now that we've said all of this we won't have to say it every time we exactly that's yeah, a very good it. point though like super good point what i will say though is with wandavision um i i think it might have been matt shackman's interview he did mention that he would like to see a second season but he wasn't going to come back for it and i think that's the mm. same with um the loki tv series so i won't go into it too much but the director and the showrunner or she's not the showrunner but she's one of the producers um, she said that she's not coming back for season two. Mm. Uh, she was very clear about that, and it wasn't it wasn't due to just her not wanting to come back because she loves the story, she loves what she she created. She just can't come back because she's committed to other projects, which is mm. fair enough. Which tells me, like, I guess they're going to do Loki season two very very soon. Mm. Can, can I uh, not throw a spanner in the works here? But I'm just curious if we were to go through, <laughs> we're going through the the TV shows now in phase four. Yeah. What if we were to announce our rankings in the, just for each of these shows in the out of the thirty-one projects? Okay, we don't have to. But, but did you? Did you? Well, I yeah, I, I did the entire thirty-one ranking. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if I want to do the TV series on their on on their own. I mean, we can. Okay, up to you guys. <laughs> Could I? I, I um. I created percentage rating, rankings for everything. In the oh, well, let's go. Let's <laughs> Which go. is, um, yeah. And, and so I'll, how about I just tell you what my percentage ranking was for each one as we all go right, through. Go because, um, and, and all of this is very critical. So I won't go through this is like, just phase exact four, right? details. Okay. This is just all phase right, four. Okay. But I when I, went, when I went through and ranked these, I looked at character, how good the characters were, how good was the characterization, yeah. what the plot was like, what was the story like, and how good... It was at creating arcs and giving some cohesion. Uh, what was the pace like uh, for the show? So, and especially with the shows compared to the movies, like beat to beat, episode to episode, was the pace good? Was each episode well paced? Was um, yeah, were, were plot twists or surprises well done? 
Uh, villain. What's a villain like? Oh, damn. Uh, Man, you stacked this. You did your homework for this. Oh, <laughs> I got to town. Um, I love it. This is so good. My, my next one was Marvelness. How Marvel it okay. was, and I gave this both a positive rating and a negative rating, okay. and I, I'd, I'd, I'd smush those together. So like. Was it good Marvel and was it also like, and by Marveliness, was it like, is it, are you referring feels, to the, you referring so to the like, formula of Marvel or? Oh, uh, no, just Marvel-y, MCU-ish, okay. I guess. Like, like a Captain America Avengers Assemble while holding Thor's hammer. Mm, like, that's, that's very, very Marvel. Marvel. Okay, gotcha. Mm. But also, in this, in WandaVision, CGI Agatha Harkness versus WandaVision <laughs> shooting laser beams. So that's also very Marvel in a bad way. Okay, right. uh, and then lastly, concept. How was the concept? And like for WandaVision, I think that was a brilliant concept in it. But how well was that executed? God damn, we have a, so we need a rating, whole episode for this, man. Yeah, man. I just, oh, we can do this. But <laughs> I just wrote a number. That, that's it. My number is 72%. Oh, wow. 72%. For WandaVision, okay. which I was surprised by because I just, I just went through... And like ranked each of those different elements and added it all together, and I got seventy two percent. I mean, I'll probably, I'll probably I think agree the, co- with the concept. I actually probably agree with that percentage. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, like pace was great, plot was fine, but the characters and the concept, I think they really were brought it up. So, mm. can, can I ask, yeah. are there are there many in your rankings over ninety percent? Uh, for phase four, there's nothing over ninety okay. percent. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. (laughs) But you you know what? The 70% primarily for me comes from Elizabeth Olsen being an incredible performer as Wanda Maximoff. Yeah. Yeah. I think she just, she nails, she kills this role. And and I'm pretty, to me, this is the best I've ever seen her perform Wanda Maximoff. Mm. Um, Agreed. Just jumping between the accents of American to her her fake Sokovia accent. To be honest, I think that Sokovia accent's a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit, yeah. a little bit weak. <laughs> but, I'm glad they glad they dropped yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I just let that slide, right? I just, you just let that slide. You you give her the benefit of the doubt. She's just so good. She's built for this mm. role. I was like, I've always worried when she was introduced in Age of Ultron, and that worry actually primarily came from her accent being really shit. But mm. um, I know what she's capable of. I know how talented she is. And I'm mm. so glad that they got to do a Wonder Vision TV series. Really, it's it's really just a Wonder, <laughs> a Wonder, the Wonder show. show, right? More the than Wonder Vision because yeah. we don't really get much from Vision. And I suppose like a character like Vision, you can't really develop because he's like an android. But the only thing that does develop from his side is the fact that he's growing emotionally with Wanda. And it's kind of weird because yeah. I think. Paul Bettany done a good job at being this this humanoid but android, and he managed to find a strange balance between being a robot and having human emotions. Mm. I don't know. Like, did you guys kind of feel the same way? Like, he, he definitely has uh, the character has definitely grown from originally being Jarvis. Like, I went back and watched the original Iron Man, and you just hear his voice. And you're like, all right, so he becomes Vision, but you could hear like the really robotic but still humanoid aspects transform into mm. more a little bit more human and less robotic over time as you see the progression from Jarvis to Vision up to WandaVision is what I'm talking about. So, right, yeah, like there's definitely been a change and you see, like you said, he's growing with Wanda. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think he, like, I think Civil War did a bit of a disservice to him where he just seemed almost a bit childlike and um, mm. that kind of annoyed me because in like Jarvis is supposed to be Tony Stark's AI which has access to all of knowledge. True. And I found that kind of like 
like their budding relationship was fine, but what was annoying was he just almost seemed like a kid. Mm. But then coming to this, he actually seems like an adult who is an android who's figuring out what it means to be human, mm. but that's more of an emotional thing, not an mm. intelligence mm. thing. And um, yeah, and I, I really, I dig, I, I just keep thinking like my favorite moment was when he gets angry uh, because he feels that she's controlling him. Right. And, and he has that bit where he floats up into the sky. Oh, that's and like such a wires. powerful moment. Eh? That's that, a very, that was OP. an awesome moment. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that moment too. Um, and that sense of it, like, oh yeah. And, and his final, him versus white vision bit. I like, I really dig that. That was cool. Oh yeah. Did you remember the lines? The the lines that he used, the famous philo- uh, philosopher's line? The what is grief? Yeah, what is no no yeah. no not what is grief. It's when white vision and regular vision is head to head and then he gives him uh, yeah. an analogy or he talks he says like a a famous the line. Ship. Yeah. Is it a line? Yeah, oh, it's a couple of lines, of like a sentence from a famous philosopher. Uh, it's, it's, oh, I can't remember the name of the ship, but yeah, the uh, the idea of what I it want is to say to the be, name of the ship is Prometheus, but everybody's like shouting in the stuff. comments right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not even sorry, everyone. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think with Vision and Wonder and White Vision, that was such a great moment because we get to see them become, I don't know, symbiotic in a way, right? Mm. They sort of merge to each other and then he becomes like the ultimate vision. It actually reminded mm. me of like the uh, Gandalf the Grey turning into Gandalf the White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like an, is this a grey to white thing? An upgrade. <laughs> yep. Um, There's definitely that sense with each of these shows where initially everyone's seen all of these shows where initially all of these characters you assume are powerful feel underpowered. Like Loki was the main villain of Avengers mm. and suddenly he can't do anything once he's in the TVA. And with this, like, Wonder and Vision, you definitely feel that it's like now she's like an Omega-level mutant, which we we can say now that they they own it. And and, and the same with Vision, where it's like suddenly he's he's also a little bit more himself and a bit more detached from Wonder in a healthy way. Mm. That's a very good point. Like, all these shows are doing a great job at putting them in their weakest moments, putting them in their most yep. difficult situations that they have to figure out a way to get out of it. Mm. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say, that's isn't this the whole, like, they're doing the whole hero's journey, like, okay, show them how they're either finding themselves or developing themselves into something further. Mm-hmm. Because up to that point, we'd never heard Wanda being called the spoiler warning Scarlet Witch until that point, right? Yeah. So um, there's someone else that hasn't been called something in the MCU until a certain point, and I just can't remember who it is. But there's someone else other than Scarlet Witch. You mean called called by their regular comic book name? Yeah. There's someone else, and I can't – it's escaping me now. Mm, in the other shows, maybe? Oh, I had someone. I had someone. Oh, we'll, we'll, pick. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably figure it out when we go through all this TV series. But we should probably, like, wrap up. WandaVision, are there, <laughs> my question actually was kind of answered by Nathan, but maybe you guys can elaborate a little bit more. What were your favorite moments and what were the worst moments for you? And how would you, how would you rank this in like out of 10, for example? Ooh. So we'll start with like favorite moments. JC, you can tell us like some of your favorite moments. Favorite moments. Okay. Um, definitely. I think the, uh, the Agatha reveal was definitely a fun cause everyone was singing that damn song. Oh yeah, <laughs> Agatha right. all along. Yeah, um, I did like the the setup of Sword and Wiccan in Speed. Yeah, 
I don't want to steal all the moves because then Nathan's like, I got nothing. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> you should name everything that's in the series. <laughs> just name everything. Uh, things that's I didn't this. like. Um, no, I will, I will give it this. I, I like that uh, another good thing was that Disney did not release the whole series at once. They did it episodic weekly. And that was really good because it allows you to think what's going to happen next. It allows you to theorize with people online and with friends where I feel like people like uh, or studios like Netflix will just dump a whole season and go, here you go. Go binge through this. Um, yeah, so I do appreciate that Disney did that or Marvel took that approach. Yeah, um, yeah the, 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 I think what Nathan was saying before about the stuff outside of the hex, you know, um, was a little bit, you know, I know it was setting up certain things, and um, but it just felt like, like the pacing was maybe a little bit off in that area, whereas inside the hex, like there was a lot more going on. It was more intriguing. So... I understand there's reasons for both, but I found that the outside of the hex was probably not as engaging for me. True. All right. Yeah. Nathan? For sure. All right. I love the cinematography for this show. Oh, I really? Very, I just thought it was very well done. I'm not, I'm not including the CGI, <laughs> but I'm definitely like the faithful particularly the aspect ratios of all of the TV yeah. shows. Is so uh, I agree great. with that. The aspect ratios are pretty awesome. That plus like, and, and that was something that was clearly said, but also you could tell from the show, but the way that they directed each episode was faithful to the effects that they had available at the time. Mm. And so particularly when you get to um, the sixties with uh, I dream of genie, and then you get to the seventies with the Brady bunch and you, you see like the wires, you see uh, <laughs> the, the the food dancing yeah, around in the kitchen, cool. and and then you also get those like moments with like yeah the breaking the fourth wall, the really handheld camera, Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, yeah. Like I love all of that stuff. I thought that was just so cool. And I think my favorite moment, just from a cinematic perspective, was when the world widens up and it goes to a sixteen nine aspect. Oh ratio yes, Monica that was episode lying on the three, ground, right? episode three. Three or I four. think it was episode three was, or the end of episode yeah. three. Yeah. After she gets thrown out of the hex. Right. So I, I love that. And um, I think, yeah, going from that, I really did enjoy Monica Rambeau's character. If not, I didn't like her story, but I liked Monica Rambeau. And I thought she, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they could do with her. Mm. And I do wonder, and I do hope that Disney doesn't, listen too much to critique in this season and actually does stick to their guns on the stories that they plan. It's true. They're um, only going to listen to our podcast with critiques though. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> because like that, that's my worry. It's the same with, um, which we'll get to later Eternals, but like it's, I don't, I don't want them to choose not to do something because people didn't like it. Mm. I'd rather they, they're making a commitment with phase four to do something weird. So I think they should continue to do that weird thing for a while. They've got time, they've got money and they can prove people wrong. Like they have, with earlier phases of the MCU. Right. So those are the things I liked. Uh, things I didn't like, I hated Haywood. I yeah. thought he was really I think everybody hated Haywood. <laughs> I was just, no, but like, I, I was like, he shot the, she shot at the kids. He just <laughs> seemed like an unintelligible villain. And, uh, and I think that that might be something that uh, is a phase four thing that I did find frustrating. And I noticed when I rewatched Far From Home was that there's, um, I wonder if all the directors for all these shows don't have enough insight into how much they can portray. Like they're given how high they, can they take the hate stakes kind of thing? Oh, not even the stakes, but even like what's the post split world like? And mm. uh, 
they're, they're, you know, they can't be eight different directors plus TV sure. show director, right. episode directors, all converging to be like Kevin Feige says, this is how you're allowed to show the blip. This is how you're allowed to show what the world's mm. like. Um, but some of that stuff is frustrating for me. Like I find that, that an annoying inconsistency maybe. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I found like that, that, that was kind of annoying for me, but otherwise like I, I gen- genuinely really enjoyed just watching one division. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. You know, for me, my favorite, I've only got one favorite moment actually. <laughs> no, no, I've got a few, but the one that really comes to mind is the, I reckon Vision and Wanda really sold that last moment in the final episode. You know, when the camera is tracking around both of them, they're holding each other and Vision's slowly disintegrating, you know, because mm. he's, he's not real. That mm. whole moment, I was hooked. Like, I was completely convinced. Um, mm. I did get some feels there and I was like, oh, Am I going to cry? No, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I just don't think the series have that kind of impact on me the same way that the movies do. Mm. But I really yeah. love that moment. I do love how we get to see her background. That has to be definitely mm. one of my favorite moments. Um, her going through how she becomes or see, foresees that vision of her becoming Scarlet Witch. Mm. You know, when she's under the experiment um, at the what is it called, like the um, Hydra facility. Mm. That whole scene going from like when she's trying to take Agatha through all these different memories, I just I love that yeah. whole thing because we're piecing together the pieces that haven't been exposed in any of the films. Mm. I thought that was really good. Yeah. Um, I really yeah. love Darcy, man. I want to I wanna see Darcy more. <laughs> yeah. Kat, Kat Dennings is just amazing. Every time she's on screen, she's always good. Mm. Even if she's not really given much, even if she's like she's just kind of wedged into random bits of the series, I just she's yeah. she's fun to watch on screen. Mm. And I, I want to see more of her. But in this case, if we do see more of her like in future TV series or movies, I want I want them to give her something to do a bit more. Like I felt within this show, she's given some good objectives to go through, hmm. but I just feel like she's just in as a, a bit of a filler. She doesn't really get given much in all the other episodes. Well, she does run Haywood over, so I'm sure. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah that's what a pathetic villain. I guess run over by Cat Dennings. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. How, do, how do you even die by Darcy? Like, you seriously must be that useless. I think um, Jimmy Woo is pretty fun. I wasn't yeah. expecting him to see in yeah. this. See him in this. Like, he's only really a part of the Ant Man universe. Mm. Um, yeah. Jimmy Woo was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think the most disappointing parts were really just the ending of the show. Um, Taking us, taking us out of the hex. Uh, I feel like there was a little, there was a few moments where it was unresolved. Um, Ag- Agatha was, you know, she's like under a hex spell or something now, right? So mm. that's the last time we see her. So it's going to be interesting to see how she becomes or gets out of that whole hex spell when they get to her TV yeah. series. Mm. Um, there's just some characters that were just underdeveloped. Like I have no idea what's happened to the kids. Um, like, because we know that the kids are still somewhat of alive um, because of what happens at the end, you know, when she's reading the crazy book or whatever, that witch mm. dark, uh, yeah. the dark magic book. Uh, um, we hear her kids in the background. Their kids are maybe in a different part of the multiverse. Who knows? 
that book, sorry, just to, to go back, because we talked about, you know, this being the first Marvel show and yeah. we kind of discard Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because it's ABC. But um, there is ties back to that book in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because that gets referenced. Uh, I can't remember oh. the name of it, though. The book of, is it the Chaos book or the... Uh, you know, the only name that I know of the book of something in the MCU is the is the book of Cagliostro or something like that. I can't the, remember. Dark, the Dark Hold. Yeah. The Dark Hold. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah, so there was just too many things that were left untouched on, and I know it's intentional because they want to carry some of these characters forward, but there just seemed to be a bit of an abrupt ending to it. And mm. I think in just the last two episodes, or maybe the last three episodes, it just kind of took a bit of a dive for me. But I'm excited mm. to get into the other ones. Do you guys want to jump into Falcon Winter Soldier? Yeah, because we're like an hour in and now. We are in trouble. We're in like very, very tricky territory right now. An hour in and we haven't even moved on after the we first one. We can do two podcasts. <laughs> part one, part two. If we need to. Exactly. We can, we could, you know what we could do? I was thinking we could, you could release half of this and we could probably get together before the midnight screen and then just talk go live and just do the do the rest of it just before beforehand i was trying to think of how i'd stay awake till midnight oh it's Um, true it's true (laughs) it's true true. but um but i mean i I think we'll we'll just try and like go through the next ones fairly quick because definitely falcon winter soldier because it's the weakest one Wait, do you hear my percentage? Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) So, in fact, I'm with the soldier. It's approximately six months after Endgame. Sam mentions in a speech he gives... He mentions that in a speech that he uses to address the nation about the blip. Uh, Six months after being restored to life from the blip and being handed Captain America's shield by Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson is working with U.S. Air Force overseas to rescue a hostage from LAF. Do you guys remember what LAF stands for? It's like that terrorist group that's led by Jorge. No, it's not Jorge. <laughs> George's butt truck. <laughs> that's PS- um, it's that name truck. P- it PSG. Was that truck G- was GSP. That, yeah. Oh, GSP. PSG. Yeah. That's the football PSG. team. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's Wilson's... Sorry. So then Wilson's partner, Joaquin Torres, briefs him about the anarchist group, the Flag Smashers. Uh, Torres investigates Flag smash- Smasher activity in Switzerland only to be attacked by one of them during a bank robbery. Wilson, struggling with the mantle of Captain America, decides to surrender the shield to the Smithsonian Institution. That's actually a callback, right? Back to Mm. Falcon Winter Soldier, the Smithsonian Institution. Yes. Oh, uh, back to Winter Soldier and even to... Was it at the end of Captain America? No, just Winter Winter Soldier. Soldier, And explains to James Rhodes... I actually totally forgot Rhodes in here. (laughs) Oh, not for long. He's yeah, not for long, but I like totally forgot that Rhodey was in it. A second. Um, explains to James Rhodey that he feels like the shield still belongs to Rogers, which he's right. <laughs> but mm. but uh, while he is helping his sister Sarah with the family business in Louisiana, the U.S. government subsequently appoints a new Captain America, Captain John Walker. <laughs> I, I already know it now, you guys. Uh, Captain John Walker was your favorite character, wasn't it? I love oh. honestly. I was like okay. all for this. I just loved how yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Well, I was just gonna I was just gonna go ahead and actually talk about the cast, but you know, why, why don't you just kick mm. this off? Like tell us what you thought about it, your first impressions, overall conclusion. Do you recommend it to MCU fans? No. <laughs> tell us your first impressions. You can you can go you can kick it off. I'll kick yeah, it off. Yeah, kick it off. Go for it. Okay. I uh 
I really uh, like. I, I I wrote in my notes preachy, but at the same time, I really dig dig that. Uh, I concur. That preachy. Sense? I concur. <laughs> preachy, but uh, there was something I dig about it when it might be some some big giant monstrosity like Apple or Disney, where yes, they have uh, staying power to be able to then have platform to then tell stories which should be told. Uh, but it's unfortunate that other places should be and are trying to tell these stories and they don't get the same platform. So I appreciate that they they have that platform, particularly look at um, BLM movement and America mm. in the state right now. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. It was pretty poignant timing, there. right? Like this was this yeah. came out right in the heat of uh, the moment. Mm. Yep, and and to then say, what does Captain America look like? Does he look black? And if in Shang Chi they bring Wong in because he's Asian, mm. and <laughs> it's not surprising they bring Rhodey in because he's black, <laughs> at least for an instant into this. But it um, that you know, which is a bit like again preachy. But I did enjoy that little moment, and I did like having that juxtaposed with U.S. agent and what does it mean to be a hero? What does it mean to be? Uh, someone that cares and what is it what's what's someone's responsibility mm. and i like that for falcon for his story he was someone who worked in rehabilitation and mm. working with people in ptsd situations and every single instance he was kind of taking he wasn't even taking like captain rogers lead he was taking a lead that captain rogers i think followed him on mm-hmm. previously which is learning to talk to people first and i i like that so that that was the biggest thing i enjoyed about it but man the pacing all over the place <laughs> yeah it was it was a wild ride i love zemo man mm. zemo was awesome in that <laughs> zemo is pretty cool yeah how about you jesse um yeah week uh for six episodes um look they had probably a lot a little too much going on for a six episode series. Um, I understood like the, the, I think for a lot of people, like, once you reach the end of it, you're like, okay, this is Sam's arc of becoming Captain America. Okay. So the whole hero's journey, what he needs to do. And like, obviously he didn't feel, maybe he felt like he had um, imposter syndrome and he didn't want to take on that responsibility or take over from cap, you know? Um, and then obviously you had that. Uh, what's the word? I'm going to say disagreement from Bucky's side saying, wait, the, he, Bucky said it belongs to Cap, right? I've forgotten it's because it's so bad. <laughs> but, um, you know, Bucky wanted him to yeah, have yeah. So, you know, the, the, the I thought, okay, I, I will praise a little bit, not all of it, but the action kind of felt Marvel again following uh, WandaVision. Mm. Um, there was still, it was still lacking a bit. To be honest, I tuned out probably in a few episodes because I'm like, yeah, okay, kind of over it. Um, I did like the mention of Isaiah Bradley, just, you know, talking about another, like, like you're saying, I guess it was a little bit, um, showing awareness, cultural awareness or sensitivity to things, events that are happening around and having diversity on screen, which I think Disney and Marvel are both trying to aim for right now. So when you see Mm -hmm. people of color or minorities represented on screen, it's almost like a step forward for a new direction, um, for film and TV. Mm. Um, Zima was definitely a highlight. Um, the power broker arc, that was easy to call. That was very, very, it felt almost like it was phase two in the sense of being able to call out what was going to happen, the twist. Yeah. Uh, 
Like it felt like Hydra and Shield. Yeah, it was like, very yeah. basic, and it's just like, is this like a 2010 film? Um, <laughs> it did. I did like the whole yeah U.S. agent setup. Uh, having like uh, Nathan said about the John Walker, like you know, what does it take to be a hero? The responsibility involved. I, I did really like that, um, and yeah. it just goes to show that not everyone can be a hero with power. Like it shows that power can corrupt, mm. um, and I think that was a very big moment when you see uh john walker kill kill the person you know what i mean so like and that was not that he was naturally ang uh sorry naturally a bad guy he was just driven to do this and something that someone said recently is that you know it's very interesting to see how marvel villains are villains it's like they didn't choose this they've been forced in a way or they made a choice as a result of something to take on this action that they've become into a villain so Mm -hmm. uh yeah uh look there was a little bit of hype towards the end because you see sam training to be um cap and like all the training that he involved and i think faye was saying i was saying this before i think faye was saying that you know sam still has to prove himself in captain america 4 like it's he hasn't technically earned the rank so so he should yeah yeah he should and, and I feel like there's parallels there between that and probably uh, Spider-Man Homecoming as well. But we'll get into that when we get to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you feel that for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else you want to say? Were you, were you about to say something about Falcon? Uh, or no, was that no that was that was it. Um, I, just, I think, yeah, like just... Because Black Widow came out after that, right? So yeah. that's the first time we get uh, we get shown Valentina, right? That is the first time we get yeah. shown Valentina. Yeah. So you're kind of like, okay, oh, US agent. And then you're like, okay, where is this leading? Um, mm. Yeah, I think what the flag smashes, I think that was a little bit weak in a way but it does it does show that that ending with Zemo and his uh, his butler, like that was pretty badass. But mm. now this leads to the question of Zemo's He's not captured. He's free, right? So does this lead to stuff like Masters of Evil? Um, oh. So you have now you have the Thunderbolts. You have Masters of Evil. So there's all these factions that could get that could start in the MCU, um, which would be interesting because you have you know from what we see the Sinister Six, Sinister Six, or what we know as the Sinister Five at the moment. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Six is going to be revealed on Wednesday. <laughs> so we're seeing. Uh, you know, we're seeing these these sort of factions being set up because for the most part, other than Hydra, correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't really seen any other big sort of supervillain teams apart from the uh, the Black Order, right? Uh, yeah, so Thanos' children. Yeah. yeah, the Black Order, I suppose. But, I mean, we can only really assume that the Black Order is dead. But mm. um, there is the tracksuit mafia or... Or whatever is it's potentially, the, but yeah, whatever the is boss. organizing the uh, the tracksuit mafia because those guys are just like the pawns mm. to a greater organization, mm. <laughs> Wilson Fisk. And you and you have the ten rings. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. the ten rings Sorry. are still around as well. Yeah. True. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. And they've been quite present throughout. Oh, they've been in there since day one. Since day they've been there man. since um, <laughs> ancient since times, man. actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ancient yeah. times. Um, uh, fighting the Eternals. <laughs> you know, okay, so I'm just going to straight up and say that Falcon and Winter Soldier is the worst TV series that they've put out. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm I can go agree with that. Um, yeah. no, I'm pretty sure I gave this like 5 out of 10, I think. Mm. There's... My percentage rate <laughs> is... 
48. Oh, yeah. there we go. We're Ooh. on the same page. And that's that's just from the math. Right. That's just. Do you feel the same way as RJC? Oh, like sorry. you're sort of halfway about this. Uh, so actually, so out of the 31 properties, I ranked it 22nd. Oh, interesting. There's, there is. Oh, oh so actually, you know, I, I feel I should move that because All I feel right. like that's. Uh, you still have time. You still have an opportunity to move that. Going yeah, to I'm going to move that. But just don't spoil. Just don't spoil. We've got, a, spoil your we got a, lot, a lot more to talk about. <laughs> I'm going to switch something around. Hang on. <laughs> Um, I'll start off with the things wow. that I actually thought were really good about this show because I don't think this is a complete um, rubbish TV show. Mm. They do attempt to do a lot of things, but they just don't follow through well with it. They don't stick the landing on a bunch of stories that they introduce here. I want to start off with uh, Sam Wilson. I think Anthony Mackie, he's definitely comfortable in the skin of Sam Wilson. I think he does it really well. It's just the unfortunate thing is that the character wasn't written so well in this series. Mm. Um, it was so, you know, when you're saying like, <laughs> when Jason, when you're saying he trains again to once once he gets the shield back, once he feels mm. a bit more comfortable getting the shield back, and he trains again in that little courtyard, whatever it is, like outside of like his home. Mm. <laughs> I thought that training was just so cheesy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought it was yeah, like super corny. I was like, really? <laughs> He's just yeah. throwing the shield around by himself, bouncing it off the trees. I was like, this is, uh, I feel a little uncomfortable <laughs> watching this. Mm. I get, I get, cool. I get they're trying to set him up to obviously yeah. earn his right to be Captain America, whatever. I just thought it was a really corny thing, but I do love that Anthony Mackie does a great job at performing Sam Wilson. Um, whatever they do with Captain American Four, I I hope I hope they find the right writers. I hope they actually get mm. um, Marcus McFeely, the guys that um, wrote uh, the first Captain America, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. Mm. Those boys, they started that whole origin story with Captain America, yeah. and I hope they get them back to write the story mm. and maybe half of russo and half of russo brother nah you don't need they, we need to save the russo brothers we need to give them like a a yeah. good five-year break or something like that <laughs> they've got like 500 avengers exactly movies, so we, we just want to save stress. them for the biggest uh, the biggest showdown <laughs> secret wars or something secret Wars. yeah so that was really good um i, I do want to say that sebastian stan is really good in this, but I just don't feel like we had enough of him. Do you guys? Did you guys feel the same? Oh, completely. I feel like I, I know it's yeah, called like Falcon Winter favorite, Soldier, but no, nah, it's not there. It's just at not, all. and yeah. I think it's like the the best the best kind of uh, energy is when it's them and Zemo exactly, so it's them together. Exactly. But also, like man, the Dora Milaje. I was so bummed that like. Like that mm. scene where they just stomp John Walker. I was like, <laughs> all for more of that. Oh, and then, yeah. and that's all because like save that for Black Panther too, you know. But mm. like, you just want so much more Dora. Oh man, like, the Dora be, was like a big highlight. That was for me. the best. That was definitely yeah. the best. Um, but you're right, man. Like this TV series is at its best when Zemo, Bucky, Sam are on screen together because mm. they're like uh, the the sort of a. What was I was going to say a tri- no, it's not a yeah it's a trio. <laughs> yeah, it's a trio. I was going to say yeah. a, a triple. That's like really bad grammar. But <laughs> as a as a trio, they are so good because they're just great actors. Mm. They know how to bounce off each mm. other. They got the chemistry going. But even when mm. Zemo is not on screen, I love seeing Bucky and Sam together. They were great. They had really mm. good dynamics. They're yeah. uh, definitely comfortable in sharing this, sharing like the the 
comedic role and sharing the action hero heroic type role they're really good mm, at that yeah. but we just didn't they've really... got that very like colleagues and peers kind of sense yeah, of yeah. Very body cop like, kind of show yeah yeah exactly like it, it kind of reminded me of like mal gibson and danny glover or something <laughs> you know it <laughs> yeah. was um and i wanted to see more of that but we just didn't really get a lot of that they yeah. focused too much on the shitty story about the flag smashers wanting to reset everything back to when it was in the mm. blip I was like, really? This is the main story of Falcon and Winter Soldier and now it's their responsibility to try and fix everything that the Flag Smashers are trying to fix as well? So mm. it was kind of a lot of, what, what would you call it? Um, like, I guess it's diminishing returns, but there's actually another word I was thinking of before. Faffing about. Faffing about, like they were trying to do mm. the same thing and then reiterate the same thing and then go back and forth. It was just... It was, it was pretty messy. And when you're talking about the pacing being really bad, mm. I think this pacing yeah, was, was quite terrible. <laughs> they just kept going in and out of all these different highs and lows, all focused on this really crap mission. And funny enough, like when the series finished, they came out in an interview saying that we actually had a very different story for the Flag Smashers. This was mm. all before the pandemic. And I was like, what was the story? Yeah. And it turns out the story had something to do with like a world ending scenario situation type thing, much so higher stakes. Avenger level yeah. threat? Kind of, but right. but not to not to a point where you need to bring in Thor and and Carol Danvers or anything like that. It was more just that the stakes were much higher because it threatened the globe, so to speak. Right. Even though they kind of they're kind of inferring that this has got to do with the globe coming back together because the Flag Smashers are supposed to be like revolutionists or whatever. Like a one globe, not nation. One, yeah, yeah, mm. trying to be that whole kind of well, one yeah. thing, but they're all going about it the wrong way. Mm. And Carly, like, bear in mind, Carly's like, I don't know, like a teenager or something, <laughs> trying to lead yeah. this whole revolution. Um, it was just, it was so flat, and it just felt so empty, and it felt kind of cheap. But the the great thing is that they set up characters that I'm really excited to see, such as Valentina Fontaine, and mm. I can't say I'm excited to see. Uh, Torres? <laughs> Who? Who? Oh, oh yeah, Torres. Torres. I totally forgot about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I, <know> you're <laughs> no. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not excited to see that guy. Young right Avengers, there. man. Everything's all about the young Oh, Avengers. yeah, maybe. But I want to see Baron Zemo come back. I love Dan- mm. Daniel Brühl. Daniel Brühl is such an amazing actor. So good, I man. first saw that yeah. guy in, uh, in Glorious Bastards. Oh, man. Uh, so he's good. a great actor. <laughs> and I want to see... He's just... Sorry. Perfect at being... So, oh, sorry. I was just going to... He's just perfect at being a nice human being yeah. who has ulterior motives. Yeah, like he, yeah, yeah. He's that sneaky and, guy. And Glorious Bastards is so good for that, yeah. you know. But then, yeah, in this it's the same. It's like, I can't trust you, but I like you. Yeah, exactly. He's very deceptive and it's hard to pinpoint what his next move is, what his motivation really is. So I think he's going to be yeah. perfect uh, for a more developed Baron Zemo in the future. Yeah. Um, but adding to what we talked about, how the, why the series has been weak, um, what if you compare it to One Division and Loki, uh, and I probably to an extent Hawkeye? What is the one thing that those other uh, installments have that Falcon and Winter Soldier didn't have? Mm. Mystery. Well, was there much mystery? There I wasn't like, a lot of mystery. That's probably a good no. point. Yeah, there's definitely and, no mystery mm, going on. It's kind of like okay, well, that was the end of that episode. Nothing kind of led you on to go like, oh, what's going to happen next? You kind of like, mm. you know, when when US agent kills that person, you're like, okay, well, he killed that person. Now it comes to ramifications. Like you knew what was going to happen, um, yeah. But there was not enough, yeah, not enough mystery to go. 
oh, like theory, theory, theory. And I think maybe that's where we're at in terms of being in a consumer or an audience. You're like, okay, we want to know, we want to think, we want to have that uh, element of, of wondering where we can go, hey, River, what did you think of this? Nathan, what did you think of this? What's your theory? Mm. So yeah, there's definitely not a lot of, uh, let's say springboards that happen in this other than the fact that there's new characters going to go on to other TV series and movies, mm. but there's, yeah, there's no mystery. There's no, there wasn't a story that I was convinced was challenging enough for Bucky and Sam. Like I feel like mm. Bucky and Sam could have just turned this over easily, but they had to, they had to rewrite the the character motivations and the skill set for these characters just so they can have some kind of challenge against these flag smashers. I was like, really? Like, yeah, I don't think it's yeah. that much of a challenge to them, but you're trying to make us believe that it's a challenge for them. <laughs> right. What, and that that's like the thing which, you know, I think the best example of it would be Thor Ragnarok, where you take a Thor character and you place him in a Thor-centric world, uh-huh. where if he takes a beating, you feel it because he's fighting the Hulk sure. on a yeah. planet in the middle of a you know, a gladiator arena. Yeah. And I think in this, you want, I honestly, I feel like you want more of what's happening in Hawkeye where it's like, he's up against black ops. He's up against like large, like hidden spy organizations from distant countries, not against a a group of teenager refugees. Mm. Like I think that definitely downplays it. And I think maybe it would have been better if, U.S. agent really was the antagonist villain of the story Mm. uh, more so. And I think they try and do that. And I do like that there has to be a sense of camaraderie. And I like that that moment, like when they're all in the, in the trap together early on, I really enjoyed that. I was like, this is cool. This is super weird. (laughs) Uh, Like, yeah, the Avengers don't always call the stakes. Sometimes the government does, but this, like these moments, I think were few and far between and the consequences that came out of them weren't resolved by the characters. Mm. Like I don't really feel like Falcon and us agent ever really have an actual issue of a po- like it didn't feel like that had an actual issue to oppose. And in the end, John Walker gets ousted by the government, not by, not by Falcon. Mm. Like, you know, he ends up. Yeah. So that, that, that kind of thing is a bit frustrating for me where it's, yeah, I, so for me, it's the villain and it's the pace. Mm. I think that mm. really brought it down. Yeah, just not enough stakes, I think. And like mm. the stakes could have been a little bit better. Not that I'm always wanting crazy, good, like crazy, crazy, uh, dangerous stakes for these characters because you know we see it in Hawkeye, and I don't want to talk too much about Hawkeye yet, but we see it in Hawkeye that the mm. stakes are high because there's there's a personal vendetta going on, right? There's a personal vengeance game going on, and if you Think about how they could have rewritten Falcon and Winter Soldier. They could have had stuff that's a bit more relevant to their personal lives. So mm. how can he tap into, like, you know, a great example is his sister. His sister's in this film. Yeah. How, they could have made the stakes more about the family being impacted by something that was happening, mm. right? As opposed to Flag Smashers who have this, who have this really crazy objective to reset the world back to when it was the blip times <laughs> um <laughs> there just could have been stakes that way sort of personal stakes that we can get behind the characters and root a little bit more for them mm. yeah yeah so sure. i mean i i give i give this probably like a five out of ten i just was super disappointed because i really like these characters i love sam yeah. love bucky love all the other guys um yeah. daniel bro daniel brawl Definitely love that guy. He's amazing. Sharon Carter as a power broker. Um, mm. 
I, I'm honestly not really that jazzed about who says jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking I'm my head at your ears. Like, okay, so <laughs> I'm not that jazzed about Sharon Carter being a power broker and the way she, the 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 direction they're taking with her character. I, I just, I'm kind of like, really, you come from being a shield agent, and you're related to Peggy, one of the most unsung heroes of the past, and now you want to be this person that's somewhat of a villain now because you have your own mm. motivations <laughs> your own kind of selfish mm. motivations like i was like uh, i don't know if i like this but um we'll see how she goes you know we might see the power broker in the future tv series maybe hawkeye i don't know but um yeah it's just the only other characters are pretty forgettable for me did hey by the way did um gsp end up surviving i can't even remember did he survive by I the end of this i think so GSP. Um, George's Batroc. Batroc. Yeah, 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 Batroc. Yeah, Batroc. Um, I can't remember. I can't even remember. <laughs> I, can't even remember. Was I hope so. I actually really like him. I think one of the best fight scenes is Captain America versus him. him on the ship. That's oh fucking awesome. God, yeah. Such a good... Oh. F- the kicks, man. Don't get me started on Winter Soldier, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's too good. That's for a retro. That's a, that's a legit cool retro. Exactly, exactly. All right, so is there anything else you want to say about Falcon? Shall we just like move straight on? Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, move on. Oh, we like spent too long on, on the worst. <laughs> exactly. All right, that's our little cue for a transition to move on. Oh, okay. Falcon and Winter Soldier. By, actually, by the way, do you guys remember exactly what was the last iteration? Oh, sorry, the last part of Falcon and Winter Soldier to get into Loki? Uh, the only thing I remember is the Dora Milaje taking um, uh, Baron away. Zemo. Zemo. Yeah. He, they take him to, I guess, presumably Wakanda they take him to. Yeah. Um, um, I can't remember the rest of it. <laughs> I just remember Falcon Falcon telling off George um, Joe Biden and... <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Joe, Joe Biden standing. Oh, uh, and they and they fix and they fix it and they fix the boat. They fix the boat. Right, 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 <laughs> that's right. right. That's that's pretty much the ending. They fix the boat, they repaint it, and the pa- and the paint's amazing. Everybody loves it. Zemo's in Wakanda jail, and um, that's pretty much the end of it. They yeah. <laughs> there was something I wanted to cover about Winter Soldier in the sense that uh, I don't. I, I, forgive me because I don't have the right wording for this, but I guess the the awareness around the struggles of people of color. So you had the Isaiah Bradley arc, you yeah. had the, the, the struggle that, you know, even Sam, even being an Avenger, mm. uh, having what they couldn't get a loan, right. They were having trouble. Financially. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They um, couldn't get a bank loan. Yeah. So little things like this that affects. And I think that was way too on the nose for me. Yeah. So yeah, the show itself is too preachy. And then let alone having that situation where they're trying to get a bank loan. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I guess mm, they're kind of addressing it. I know it's on the nose, but they're addressing it in a way that people can see, like, this is the struggle that people go through. And, sure. you know, tying this back into, I'm not saying Black Panther, but also to Shang-Chi later on, like, you're showing culture and also, like, showing what these cultures are experiencing in, in modern-day life. Right. Yeah. So I, I do, I don't know if the word is praise, but I, I acknowledge that Marvel are trying to do... They're trying or, to do something. They're, they're, they're trying, trying to do something with it. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to please the crowds, I suppose. Is, that's yeah. the way I kind of see it. <laughs> yeah. But look, it depends on Which, perspective. Like you could say someone like is is 
trying to preach it, but at the same time, someone goes, oh, you're understanding my story and you're, you're putting it out on mainstream mainstream media so that other people can understand. Mm. Whether people understand or not, maybe may be missed. Sure. Anyway, that's enough for me. Anyway, I'm going to do the transition <laughs> again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're jumping straight into Loki. This is immediately after seizing the Tesseract in 2012 as a result from the actions of the time-displaced Avengers. Loki is arrested by the Time Variance Authority for creating a branch timeline and is taken into their headquarters. Following an ex- extensive screening process, Judge Ravona Renslayer sentences the God of Mischief, Mischief to be pruned. But Agents Mobius M, Mobius what? But Agent M, <laughs> Agent Mobius M, intervenes and instead takes him into a time theater of interrogation. By the way, I think that's actually like one of the best parts of that first episode when he's getting mm. interrogated. Yes. So damn good. Oh, like, and then it just... Amazing. Yeah, like, they, they actually do a really good job at creeping in the feels. Like, in that whole sequence, when he's interrogating him, he gets to see his past, gets to see what happened at the end of Avengers, and anyway... I digress. <laughs> As Loki contemplates his ability to possess free will in a predetermined timeline, Mobius shows him his intended future in the sacred timeline, which includes his role in the death of his adoptive mother. Loki is left in disbelief when Mobius momentarily leaves the room for a briefing with Hunter B-15. Loki manages to escape and retrieves the confiscated Tesseract. However, he discovers it is powerless in the TVA B-15 rushes to prune Loki, but he returns to the time theater and uncovers more of his future from his strengthened bond with Thor to his death at Thanos' hand. Who wants to start? Actually, JC, you start with this. What did you uh, think of that? Man. Um, <coughs> man, where to start? Was it good? Liked, was it bad? It was, was it average? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um... <laughs> I definitely found this was a much more pleasant experience than Winter Soldier, Falcon Winter Soldier. I was like, okay, because I didn't know what to expect out of Loki. Because no one, we, after watching WandaVision, like you, you, you had to rethink the way that Marvel was approaching their series. So WandaVision was like, you know, we, a shift of genre, as, as we put it before. And then you went back to Winter Soldier, which made it feel like a phase two kind of thing where it's like, okay, it's just straight action, boring story. Correct. And then Loki then re-brought back in mystery, and you're like, okay, what's happening here? What's this TVA? What's all this? What's all that? And I think, uh, uh, was it? Did we know at that point that Kang was going to appear? Or was no, that... no, we were just no, speculating. Nothing. I think we started speculating about Kang when they said that there was these three um, gods, you could say, three time gods that yes. were responsible for creating the TVA. Um. So, yeah, there was this whole. I liked that they gave light on loki because you know it's now showing a side that we didn't get to see other than him being you know evil and and the god of mischief so it was i think it's a great way to develop tom hiddleston's character um and just you know his 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 uh what's called british british humor but his approach towards uh you know people and just how he interacted and you do see that he does develop his uh emotional responses or sensitivities towards people as he you know somewhat <laughs> gains a relationship with Mobius um, and then later with Lady Loki. Um, I'm just trying to think of highlights. But my initial my initial reactions were, were quite pleasant as opposed to Falcon Winter Soldier. Um, and the mystery got me hooked. So I'll leave that there. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Nathan. I like it. I like it. I, like, I loved the concept so much for Loki. 
And so my other like big stand moment is I'm a massive Doctor Who fan. And so Ooh, that yeah. sense that sense of uh wild and wacky and a detective in space and uh the TVA's uh got that kind of British element and the Owen Wilson of it all is a very Wes Anderson vibe as well for me. Mm. And that was That's really good, nailed by the, the set pieces. Yeah. So all of that. And, and even uh, what's what's it, the TVA mascot, like <laughs> with the retro 60s clock thing. Like um, uh, Miss yeah, Minutes? All, yes. Miss Minutes, yeah. yeah. Minutes. So like I, I just, I thought the concept for the whole show was just awesome. And I really struggled with the pace, oh. and I got I got quite frustrated. Was there <laughs> any point? Episode. Was there any point? I got this year. Uh, so with the pace? I think post jumping into Loki and Sylvie off world. I think once Loki and Sylvie are together, my hope was that the pace would build up. But then I felt that things just started to crumble and go in a lot of different directions. And I think the best time was when Mobius and Loki were together. Mm. And so I kind of had hoped that there'd be more of that. Yeah. Um, and I think this is going to be like the ongoing problem with these Disney shows is having a short run like of six or seven episodes. It's really hard because the length of the stories you want to tell for TV are so like, it, it's hard. Are you, are you trying to tell a movie, but you're kind of a bit, like too much time, so each episode can only tell one beat of a movie sure. or two beats. You're restricted with time, or, series for sure. Yeah, or or do you take the Mandalorian approach, which I was kind of hoping at least something in this whole series would do of all these TV shows, and I think What If does it the best, which obviously since it is episodic, <laughs> uh, but but like having uh, episodics like instead of serialized TV, mm. uh, and I think. Loki could have really done with being serialized. True. Uh, and having what, if you guys, do you guys ever watch Doctor Who? Any any of the more more recent, anything from Ninth Doctor onwards, you'd have these ongoing arcs in a, in a, in a season, uh, but there'd be individual stories in each, in each episode. And that was what I was hoping for. So I think I got a bit frustrated by that. Uh, and I did like the Sylvie and Loki trying to escape from the dying planet episode. That was great. Yeah. Like I wanted mm-hmm. more of that from yeah. the planet, the train, like with the train, the purple no, train, yeah, the, the purple, purple planet. planet. Yeah. What's it called again? <laughs> purple planet. Anybody? Come on, you guys are nerds. You should know this. I should, but <laughs> I know. Oh, it's, I, I know. It's. I remember the. I remember the. <laughs> that's with L, and there's Long. a V in there as well. <laughs> Um, nah, you're looking it up, nice, nice, nice. Um, and actually, you know, here's a good point too. When they're on their planet, it's actually Lamentous. the Lamentus. There we go. Lamentus. No V. No V. <laughs> no V. My bad. My bad. Ten points off of my um, nerd radar or my nerd rating. But and when they're in the Lamentus, they're in 2070. Is it the year 2070? Uh, 20, 2077. 2077. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if there's any significance behind them being in that year, 2077. Um, it might just be random. It might just be coincidental or coincidental Nothing to something. Nothing is coincidental in MCU. Sounds like a good I apocalyptic know. year. The MCU is never coincidental. They're always intentional about everything. Remember. Down remember, to has, the grain of the sand. Yeah. Hashtag it's all, it's all connected. Remember? It's all connected. It's all connected. Everything, everything is connected. Yeah. Um, is it my turn? Actually, yeah. Should I talk yes. about it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Go for it. This series is definitely one of my best 
TV series out of all the MCU shows so far. One of, and I'm, I'm going to save that a little bit for Hawkeye, and, I, and I'll give my reasons as to why I think Hawkeye is definitely up there. Um, but yeah, with Loki, you know, the best, the thing that I love the, the most about this is the production design. I was so impressed by how they styled everything. All the sets look incredible. Maybe mm. with the exception of Lamentus. Lamentus looked really green screen to me. I don't know if you guys felt the same, but Lamentus looked pretty green screen to me. Other than that, the set, all the set pieces were just insane. I loved it. They, you know, when you're in the TVA, they managed to just hit that balance of decorating the entire TVA like yeah. as if it was maybe paying homage to every single timeline that exists that we that we know of, right? Because because mm. things look retro, things look futuristic, things look eighties, things look seventies, things look mm. everything. I, I I just whoever done that set design, that production design is they need they need an Oscar, not Oscar award, but they need like an Emmy award for this. Like honestly, mm. incredible work for, sure. for that production design, and that's to me as a visual. Um, as a person that appreciates visuals in any medium such as TV and film, I love it when I get to see stuff like that because I can immerse in the story much easier. Mm. Um, there's less work, I think, for the characters. Not that the characters get a um, a free check for this. You know, The characters still have to be really good. The story still has to be really good. But when production design is that great, it's just much easier for me to get into the characters and buy into whatever's going to be displayed. For sure. Mm. And the costumes. Oh, too, the costumes that, are great. Mm. Freaking, yeah. Even I was like, man, Tom Hiddleston wears a bummer. <laughs> he wears everything well. But yeah. I was like, I want one of those TVA jackets. It looks I've so actually schmick, seen some eh? people sell some TVA jackets. I don't think they're obviously legit oh, Marvel ones. I think people are just mm. creating their own and then just selling them on eBay or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I really loved about the series. But um, and I can go on with a massive list of things I really like about it, but I will say that the number one thing for me is Tom Hiddleston. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, like, there's just nothing he can't do, right? Like, he's, mm-hmm. he just, he knows Sorry. Loki inside and out, probably better than how people understand Loki in the comics, like how comic nerds understand Loki. They'll probably mm-hmm. just default now to Tom Hiddleston being Loki. He's mm-hmm. just charming. Mm-hmm. He's he can be a villain as well as being really generous and a happy-go-lucky guy. He's mm. charismatic. He's got presence. He's got delivery. He's got it all. Like I just yeah, I I, I can't get enough of that guy. And I really want to see more of Loki in future movies or whatever. I don't want to see him in another Disney Plus series. I want to see him in another movie, whatever he's going to mm. be in. I don't know. I mean, I, I know he's got season two for Loki, but I do want to see him in in a movie. And maybe that movie ends up being like the sequel or the, yeah, the sequel to Ant-Man 3, which could be another, I don't know. It could be a Kang movie, like a designated Kang movie. Can you imagine if, sure. if Marvel for the first time decides to do a villain movie? That'll be a power play. Mm. That'll be changing up the formula for sure. All right, if anybody from Marvel is hearing this, like I'm giving you the idea right now, you should do an origin story on a villain. You know they're not going to do that now that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that, would just be, that would just be the perfect power play move for them. Um, yeah, th- th- those are the things that I really loved about it. There's not a lot of negatives that I have for this. Um, mm. The only 
I think the only negative is there's some dodgy visual effects that happen. Um, it doesn't, it wasn't enough for me to go, yeah, the visual effects were terrible, but there were some dodgy moments. And I think that just came down to time constraints and, and budget constraints, perhaps. Um, I really can't was, think of anything bad, to be honest. There was, do you remember the scene where they're trying, uh, they were trying to escape one of the fringe events and it was, they were running through the town and everything was like falling to pieces. Oh, and Lamentus? I felt like that. Was it, was it Lamentus? Yeah, yeah, where they, everything's they falling apart. Mount Vesuvius. Oh, was it Vesuvius? Not Vesuvius. It wasn't the one where the apocalyptic, where like the, the sky was crashing, but they were in a town. And oh, the uh, super. Oh, you mean yes, the super. Oh, yeah, that's in um, yeah. 2015 or something, right? Something. No, was it the supermarket? But there was this town where everyone was just going crazy and, and everyone was trying to escape. But I felt like that scene. You mean the volcano? Wait, are you talking long. about Pompeii? No, not the volcano. Uh, if it's a supermarket, text. that's I think 2005 or maybe in the 2000s where there was a massive where they get the blue gum. Yeah, and the reason yeah. why they go there because they have to go to a catastrophic disaster, like a storm. yeah, 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 yeah. I just couldn't remember, and I felt like that scene just played out for way too long, and then this the show just ends, and you're like, were they trying to get onto a ship or like a uh, a rocket, and they. No. Oh, that was that was the Lamentous episode. Lamentous episode. They're trying to get onto a train and then they try and get into the rocket yeah, and the rocket takes that's off. It. That's Lamentous. And everyone starts freaking out. That was that was pretty like like heartfelt, like, whoa, that yeah, you feel something in that little moment, mm. but it did drag a bit. And the episode ended up being quite short and you didn't actually get a resolution except that they like yeah. almost kiss. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah, sometimes you see the runtime of the series uh, on Disney Plus like, oh it's forty five minutes. But really it's like twenty eight because then the rest of it's just all credits. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, come on, man. <laughs> um, they gotta they pay respect to all of the um the different uh translators. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely <laughs> the biggest bait that I think that happens. That episode I think for me was the one that, that ended off not in a good note because I know they're trying to leave it open for the next episode, but it just was it was underplayed, I think, that whole episode. Mm. Really underplayed and it was I was a little bit confused. I was like, wow, such a strong start. And then you're on this episode where they're on Lamentus. And mm. there's, there's a lot of dialogue that happens in that episode. And I'm not afraid of dialogue, but the dialogue just didn't really go anywhere. Like the dialogue mm. showed us a bit more about um, Lady Loki's character mm. and a bit more about Tom Hiddleston's character. But it was all kind of like, hey, let's sit at a diner and have a chat kind of thing. You know, mm. yep. <laughs> that's actually literally what they did, right? Sat at a diner. <laughs> The show was a lot of little conversations and you get, I think I got into the third or the fourth episode and it's like, oh man, they're just talking again to each other again, quite quietly. And yeah, on the, like in that lamentous episode, while it's hectic and apocalyptic, they also sit for a bit and talk on the train Mm -hmm. and sit on a pile of sand and, and, and just talk for a bit. They probably spent too much, too, too much time on those, those moments because. Well, I, I think when you get to a finale, which is. Kang talking for twenty minutes as well. Yeah. That I think that that really did for me. Yeah, again, you move away from that. The Doctor Who of it all is there is a ridiculous amount of things seemingly disconnected and moments and people and maybe an item that enables something, mm. and those things can all kind of met, like come together in a satisfying way. But in this, it was just, and then they talked, and you had to make a decision. Like it, yeah. And speaking of Kang, mm. like we should probably get to that part and then wrap up this uh, 
little segment of Loki because the time is, I'm very aware of the time and we're just, we're, we're not even halfway through. We haven't even got to our, our rankings. But um, on that point of Kang, you know, for those people that are listening right now who don't know who this character is, he's, in Loki, he's called the one above all. No, sorry, he, not the one above all. He that's he actually remains. The, he, he remains. Sorry, he remains. That's, that's actually the comic book um, uh, reference anyway. He who remains, he's called he who remains. Um, when that reveal happens, were you guys, were you guys super stoked? Because at this point, everybody was pretty sure that it was gonna be Kane the Conqueror, but then there was just that glimmer of doubt, and that glimmer of doubt always just comes in the form of like, well, it's Marvel; they always surprise us with, with everything. But then they just mm. went ahead and mm. got Jonathan Majors on screen. So, mm. what did you guys think mm. of that? Did you were you surprised? And if you were surprised, were you happy at how they handled? Kang the Conqueror, a.k.a. He Who Remains. I like that they didn't call it... They didn't say it was Kang, but they, they referred to it as... Maybe this was the other person I was thinking of. They didn't address him by his name, but obviously there's a different variance of Kang. Mm. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, Ramatad and, and Immortus and stuff like that. Mm. But, yeah, it was interesting to see this version and obviously this the, the events that get set off by the events in the episode, but you see now, okay, the multiverse and starting to come together, which is, I guess, exciting as a fan because you're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And there's that mystery, like, oh, shit, this is starting everything. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it was, yeah, like, I think it was handled really well. Uh, Jonathan Majors is a, is a great character. Um, even just watching his interviews um, and just, you know, he's a nice, like, he's a good, seems like a good dude. I think he did it really mm-hmm. well. And it just, if they're really going to have him in multiple variants and if they, if they, if um, I'll say this, because I don't believe that Kang is going to be the big bad for this phase. I oh. feel like this is a bait. I, I don't know who it is, but I feel like this is Marvel going. We're going to make you think it's Kang, but we're going to throw in someone else later. Okay, okay. That's my theory for now. <laughs> okay. For now, for now. But um, yeah. So you know, uh, who knows? Maybe someone else will come in and kill Kang, and then they become the new big bad. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. um. <laughs> So I, I, I'm kind of excited because I want to see John Majors play out different versions of Kang if they do allow for that to happen. Um, but, but he he now next appears in Multiverse, no, Quantumania? Quantumania. Quantumania, yeah. yeah. So He might be in Multiverse in that. Oh, it's, yeah, there's that <laughs> no, Or No Way Home. He's going to be in No Way Home, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> All the cameos in that exactly. movie. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Nathan? Like, uh, what did you think of the whole Look, I, appearance? I loved, I loved it. I, again, and this is that same thing around that question that I had from the beginning with all of these. Is this all you're going to do with these characters? Because I would have liked to see more with Sylvie and then to find, and yeah, alongside that seemingly there's a villain in the lurking in the background of this whole show. I found... I liked him for the setup for the future. I didn't like him as the villain for this show, mm. if that okay. makes sense. Okay. I loved his conversation with them, and I thought Jonathan Majors like to be able to hold, a, yeah, an incredible monologue. Like that could be like a monologue, <laughs> and you know when drama students only are allowed to pick from the Disney scripts <laughs> in their high school plays, uh, that that'd be an awesome monologue to do, yeah. right? Once Disney owns the world, but. I, I thought his um, opening up of another level to the MCU that we hadn't seen yet, and it's more than multiverse, and I guess what we'll get to with what yeah. if, it's something that is a bit otherworldly with stakes, and that's what I really liked. Mm. 
because I find with maybe with what if I felt it a bit and even that sense with where like Wanda's powers are getting to this like extra ridiculous level where if you're starting to get to this point and the magic of it all it's harder I think for us conceptually actually Eternals does this too Mm. it's harder for us conceptually to connect to these stories and I like that Jonathan Majors made that and 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 made the Loki show feel some stakes yep. in what could happen True. into the future because it really jumps the shark after Thanos because Thanos snapping half of all life is ludicrous. So mm. this gave me a sense of stakes in a way which Eternals and What If didn't mm. because it was yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I mean uh, with yeah. um with Jonathan Majors, I mean I think. Have you guys seen Jonathan Majors in other films or no. no, not not properly, but I have heard of him. He's in uh, what's that show called? Um The T V series? Yeah. Yeah, I think I know the one got... you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that TV show that, that one, guy is Lovecraft in. is it Lovecraft County? That's the, the one. Lovecraft yeah, County. yeah, yeah. Lovecraft yeah. Co- Lovecraft County, yeah. Love Lovecraft. Yeah. Um I saw him recently in The Heart of They Fall. Okay. Yeah, Haven't and he's great. Yet. He's really, really good. Highly recommend that movie. It's only on Netflix. Um, when when the door opens, you know the shaft or whatever the the, the shaft to the not the shaft but the elevator door or whatever the that elevator. is. It's even got a, a bell. Do you guys notice that? Just, it's no, got an elevator no. bell. Good thing, and then the elevator opens up. Yeah, when we see him sitting there, I was I, I jumped, I leant forward, and I was like. Oh my gosh, they're actually doing Kane the Conqueror. And, you know, we all know this is Kane the Conqueror. He's been cast as Kane the Conqueror in mm. Ant Man mm. Quantumania. Because I think at first he was cast as Nathaniel Richards, mm. but then they changed yeah. it on IMDb. So I'm not sure if that's a mistake for IMDb or I'm not sure if. Or if uh, but it could also be Nathaniel Richards. It could Richards also be well, Nathaniel right? Richards. Like, yeah. But now, like, he's just straight up, it just straight up says Kane the Conqueror. Um, you know, from the, sh- from the extras of Loki, I don't know if you guys saw the the um behind the scenes that they released after it no i haven't watched it yet no. yeah, the behind the scenes are really cool it's only an hour long and uh tom hiddleston actually says it's really good to finally introduce kane the conqueror i was like okay so these guys are not really mm. hiding behind it <laughs> and not that it's a big secret but it's a it's a it's a different story when you have cast and crew say that it's kane the conqueror as opposed to us saying it's kane the conqueror um yeah. so i loved it as soon as he jumps up in frame I was so interested as to how he's going to play this menacing villain. Well, he doesn't really seem that menacing in the comics. And I've seen him in uh, some of the animated series for Avengers. Mm -hmm. And he's always that character that comes in and out as the main villain, always dies from the Avengers, but always Mm. keeps coming back as a different variant of himself. Mm. That's That's really cool. So if they decide to do that character arc for him, he's just that villain that just cannot die. I don't. Mm. If, if they do do it, it could be interesting, but it'll be hard mm. to make it plausible for a modern day audience who just thinks, okay, well, if this guy just keeps coming back, to what end are we going to have for this? What are the real stakes? It bears no way. Exactly. Yeah. What are the real stakes here? So, I wonder if they do decide to to do that. But I was just the way he is in the comics and also in the animated series, he's kind of this guy that he sounds menacing just from his tone. And I think that's just the actor who's like doing the voiceover. Mm. But what Jonathan Majors managed to do was to have this charming guy to make you feel like you like him 
and you'd mm. accept him as like your friend over a beer or something. But he also has this vast knowledge that also makes him pretty dangerous. Mm. And for a scene that goes on for, I don't know, was it 20 minutes, maybe 15? It seemed mm. really long, right? Where they have that long yeah. dialogue across the table. It's a really long expositional scene of dialogue. And, and at first I was thinking, wow, this is a lot of dialogue. But I actually, I actually really enjoyed it. And I actually liked that they decided to do this as opposed to showing us. And of course, they're not going to be able to show us how all of this would really go down because it's mm. literally the last episode. <laughs> mm. So they won't be able to show us, but it was, it was so much dialogue. And I, and I was listening to other critics and YouTube reviewers talking about how they really appreciated that heavy dialogue, that heavy dump of exposition too. So it seems like the exception to the rule, you know, the exception to the rule being that you should rather you should actually show us rather than tell us rather than like mm, okay. spit it across dialogue or monologues or whatever it is. But I don't know. They managed to just pull it off and I was so invested. And I think part of that is just the performance of Jonathan Majors selling yeah. his character as he, he remains and warning them about how there's other variants of myself that are super dangerous. Mm. And if you kill me, then it's kind of the end. And this is when the multiverse breaks out. Mm. So loved it. And I think it's the highlight of the series for me. Which is yeah. could I ask? Could I ask a question conceptually okay. of this? Because is, is this a rabbit hole? <laughs> no, no, oh, yeah. this no, no, no. This is from 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 your understanding of the show. Yeah. Uh, and a uh, quick one: Have you guys both watched Rick and Morty? I haven't Morty. watched Rick. There seems Not to be a lot of correlations, right, between Rick and Morty. Same writers, oh. same writers between Rick and Morty and Loki. Right, right. So one of the, the the key writers for Loki has been a long term writer for. Uh, for Loki has been a long-term writer for Rick and Morty. Uh, well, I won't say anything about Rick and Morty. Then anyone who's watched Rick and yeah. Morty will follow this. But with this, uh, the sacred timeline, have you guys had the sense that they were trying to say none of the other timelines after Kang kind of severed them all have been allowed to elapse until the end of this show? Mm-hmm. Have none of those other timelines been happening, or has the sacred timeline removed itself from every all all other timelines, so nothing can kind of get in? Because I've had that sense once the end of this episode breaks out and <laughs> that kind of final shot is going back to the TVA and seeing a different right. statue there, is that actually the sacred timeline isn't like stopping anything else from happening. It's actually just been away from mm. everything else. And now the floodgates open. Oh, so are you saying that the timelines these are timelines, are you saying that these timelines already existed, but we just yeah. came to believe that the sacred timeline was the main kind has of just been like, like, yeah, just been, been, been pruning it off mm. any chance for them to evolve. That's actually, like, and I guess yeah. it's because that's what I, I felt once he explains it, Kang's like, you know, until one Kang was victorious, which is me, and I ended up stopping all the other Kangs, and then I was able to create the TVA and cut off all of yeah. that. But if Sylvie kills me now, all of the, you know, all of that will just start again, and a different me will be back here sure. at the end of it. But, well, that makes sense. But he does he does mention that there were only three universes, right, in the beginning. Doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only three universes that exist in the beginning. Um does it say universes? Something like that. He he demonstrates it through his like Play-Doh animation type thing. And he said yeah. there are three 
his his vibranium, his vibranium for yeah, telling yeah, yeah. stories. It's actually really cool animation. I really love it. <laughs> like the yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that that the Wakandans and what is it? Ego does it when he's telling. Yeah, his that's story. right. He does. That's right. I totally <laughs> forgot about that because I kind of forgot about Volume Two. <laughs> okay. uh, um, uh, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler for my ranking. Yeah. Um, no, no. He he mentions it. He mentions at the beginning of that part where he starts to talk about his variants that there were three there were three universes and and when he discovered the other two Kangs or the other two whatever Nathaniel Richards, they were also trying to conquer those universes, but then he wanted to just be the guy that um or like the the, the only guy that conquers all three, but then they all have the same idea to conquer all three as well and then i th- I guess it's presumed that because there's those three universes, when they conquer them, more and more variants start to uh, appear. appear. But then, the, mm. but then it actually, the question is, how do they appear? How do the other variants appear? We can only... Well, it's the same question as how do all the different Lokis appear? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, so you have to assume that there's always other timelines rather than just those... Mm. Or maybe the timelines exist within those three universes. Which is where you go back to what uh, the... Um, what's it? Uh, the Sorcerer Supreme yeah. um, Tilda Tilda Swinton says in in um, Endgame, where it's like actually think of it as these branches, but they become their own timeline. Mm. They take their take their own stories and create their own characters that have difference to yeah. This so you have to so, also presume that they never they always had a beginning to their timelines as well, like a full on history, yeah. you know, from day one up until whatever. Like Spider Verse, like, yeah, like Spider Verse, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What did she say? Yeah. If I give up the time stone to help your reality, I'm dooming my own. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mind, um, you know, a bit of a mind tangle. I think there, but I guess they can only explain it better or explain it in a different way. Or they're going to have to. They're going to have to. If they want to yeah. get they general will. audiences on board, um, yeah. which you know, for the most part, the general audiences are on board because they are making up all those ticket stubs. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to make it so simple that they understand that they need to watch these other bits and pieces or other vignettes that exist within the MCU mm. so that they can continue to make these really elaborate stories. Um, yeah. and I mean, not unless that they, they're still relying on the shoulders of YouTubers and podcasters like us, you know, talking <laughs> about the stuff to try and inform. Simplifying. Yeah, it down. simplifying. Or distilling, distilling. Distilling it, yeah. <laughs> and, and the you know, the good thing about listening to podcasts is that you can just do this on when you're walking, you can pause it, you can come back to it, do it on a long road trip or something and listen to a bunch of nerds talk about the MCU. But Only if you're subscribed. Only if you're subscribed. <laughs> 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 that's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. So, um, so that was pretty much the end of Loki. Was there any? Are there any characters that you think were gonna have are gonna have an impact on the timeline, the multiverse? Because you know, we're we're doing this all in lead up and preparation to Spider Man No Way Home. But is there anything that could be impacting the multiverse break off that happens within Spider Man No Way Home? Or do you think this is a whole separate event? Because the biggest thing that happens in my eyes is that we have two potentially just one event happening, which is two multiverse breaking scenarios or events, right? One that happens at the end of Loki, one that happens in Spider-Man No Way Home. Mm. You know, so either, 
either one person is responsible for it, meaning it's it's um uh Lady Loki. Why am I calling mm. her Lady Loki? Sylvie. <laughs> Sylvie. Sylvie. Um, <laughs> either Sylvie is the one responsible for the multiverse breaking or Doctor Strange is. And it just happens to be a coincidence that they think that they're responsible for it individually or mm. that they're both doing it at the same time, but it ha- it's happening into, in different multiverses. So here's my question for you. At where Where is Loki in the timeline? Well, Loki isn't in the timeline. The last part that we see Loki is outside of time. Remember, he's outside of the sacred timeline. So when he's outside the sacred timeline, as soon as a a branch happens, we have to presume that that branch is going to take place within their own respective timeline. So for us, it's it's Earth-1999. But in Loki, we don't know what designated timeline that is. It could be anything. They do say that the sacred timeline is... I guess presumably one nine 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 nine, but mm. I don't think that's the case because the sacred timeline doesn't exist anymore now, mm. right? Mm. So he's like he's like the locksmith in Matrix Two. True. Just enters. Oh, you mean the what's the name? The keymaster. The keymaster key or the keymaker. A keymaker. Keymaster. I don't know. Oh. Somebody will correct <laughs> us in the comments. I'll, I'll correct. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, uh, it's it's almost it almost seems like a. Uh, I don't know. It almost seems like it doesn't matter what happens in Loki or in episode six in Loki because whatever they do will affect anything else that is presumably about a, a part of the same timeline. If mm. Spider Man No Way Home is, I'm assuming it is Earth 1999 in Spider Man No Way Home, mm. right? Like, who knows? Whatever we're seeing on, on the trailers might just be all a ruse, and we have no idea that they're in a different timeline. So, so coming back to Far From Home, we said that was eight, eight nine months post-Blip, right? Yeah. And then the ending of Far From Home, which should lead into the start of No Way Home, yes? That's what we're supposed yes. to believe. Logically, yeah. that's supposed to be what happens, because actually, which should be true, because... He's now going into college, right? So yeah. he's finished high school. He's getting into college in this film. They're very mm. specific about mm. that in the trailer. So that has to be only, I don't know, a whole summer after. And that whole summer after is probably the year 2020. What would it be? 2024, maybe? Four? Because yeah. it's because 2023. Hawkeye's 2025. Hawkeye's 2025. Yes, yes. Mm. Um but yeah, so 2023 is the year after the blip. Oh, sorry, not the year. Is the year of the blip. Mm. And then he gets to the end of the year, which is probably about December. Or maybe it's about now, right? Like maybe it's the... Because they always tend to put MCU content within the same real timeline that we exist in, apart from the fact yeah. that there's a five-year leap now. Yeah. You know, yeah. so maybe this is December and then they're getting into like fresh not freshman year for uh, for college. And then that would make it 2024. So from there, some kind of timeline breaks off. Uh, the multiverse just goes berserk and chaotic. And we have to assume that that is the event that took place in Loki as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're, we're, pre- we're streaming off pretty quickly. We haven't even got to like a Spider-Man part of the show. Well, yeah, we, I think I'm more excited. To yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but we've actually still got Black Widow, What If, Shang-Chi, Eternals, and then Hawkeye. Hawkeye. <laughs> and we're, we're creeping up to, uh, this is, this two is hours. pretty long as we're already at two hours. Do you guys just want yeah. to chop this down and just get straight into, say, 
do you still want to talk about like Eternals and Shang-Chi? Do you want to just quickly throw your thoughts about that? See if there's any connection to Spider-Man No Way Home? What are you feeling, Jason? Ooh. I'll, I'll just, I think I, we can do like quick one-liners on these if you want to really summarize it. Okay. But, um, I, I'd happily do quick yeah, one-liners. Um, we can each give our thoughts. All right. Let's, let's just go, th- rather than me talking about the synopsis, let's just go quick one-liners on w- what your thoughts are on Black Widow, What If, Shang-Chi, and Eternals. Okay. Someone starts. <laughs> so Black Widow uh, felt like a phase two movie, and maybe that was the intention, but I felt the highlight was Yelena. Yes. Um, and I did, I yeah. did like the the family scene, how, how dysfunctional it was when they were all having dinner, uh, lunch or dinner together. Um, but from a, you know, some people have said, "Oh, it's a great movie," but I just didn't feel that in comparison. When you you follow stuff like Endgame and uh, Infinity War, like it just was lacking a lot. And I knew there was only so much they could do in Natasha's character um, within whatever ninety minutes. But I felt, you know, they said that, uh, what you call it. You know, going, it went straight to Disney, didn't it? It didn't go... It, it suffered because it didn't go to theatre. It went to both. Okay, it went to both, but no one, no one really... Which played. we didn't we didn't get in Australia. Yep. In uh, but we... Yeah. So, yeah. so that's all I'll say so about, I'll say about that. that. But the, the ending obviously leads into Hawkeye, which was a great connection. Um, but yeah, Black Widow, probably a 4 out of 10 for me. Whoa, that's a low score. Yeah. I will say that. <laughs> Nathan? Oh, I love it. Yeah, uh, I, I love I, I love Yelena as well. I love the concept of the Black Widows, and I wished. Here's my my hot take: Taskmaster. Oh, biggest disappointment of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, should have been, and I think I told River this before. Should have been really a representation of all of Nat's like core Avengers of Hulk, True. Iron Man, yeah. Captain America, and her her true defeating of Taskmaster would have been a great representation of how awesome Black Widow is. Yes. Theoretically taking down her fellow Avengers in this Taskmaster reflection. That of would have been a better That's what I wish they had done. Yeah. That would have been an awesome movie. And that's what Taskmaster is like in the, in the comics. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So ta- especially, actually, particularly taking down her Hawkeye and Captain America, like that, that kind of energy mm. like from Taskmaster and Nat beating that would have been sick. Uh, I gave it, it from my from my very uh, uh, yeah uh, what is it data collected yeah. <laughs> percentage. I ranked it. I gave it thirty five percent. Wow! So also three and a half what? out of that's, ten. That's close to four out of ten. Yeah, it is close to four. <laughs> out of 10. We'll round up. We'll be generous. Uh, but I thought I like I love Scarjo and I think she was great. Scarjo really great. Disappointed. Is. I think that yeah. yeah. I, I'm really yeah. The, and and again, the whole debacle with Disney makes it an extra. The casting was great. Sour taste. The casting was great. And what's his name? Yeah. Matt? No. Hopper. Hopper. Yeah. His <laughs> name is Hopper. Hopper was great as well. Um. But yeah, I just felt like the writing was just off. Um. Uh, and it just crushed in too quickly. Um. Yeah. River, what do you think? Um, uh, Blackwater, yeah. Uh, I wanted to love it, but I, I, mm. I can't, like, I don't love it. I like it. I just like Scar Joe. She's amazing to watch. Um, her chemistry between her and her sister is really cool. I like that. Yeah. I wanted to actually mm. see, see them fight uh, a little bit more together. Like, they did do those action set pieces together, mm. um, but there probably wasn't enough of it, maybe because they were running out of screen time. I don't know. Because the, the movie was pretty short. It actually wasn't a very long runtime. No. But they, the story that she's given to try and overcome by the time she gets to the end just kind of boring and 
probably the same as you, JC, like a phase two. I want to say it's like a phase one movie. Mm. <laughs> like it's, I think it's a better film than Thor. Um, Thor, uh, oh, Thor Dark 2. World. Thor Dark World. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually not that harsh. Though. If that's, if that's the bar for you, then man, you're not doing very well right now. Yeah. Um, and I was just kind of disappointed. <laughs> it just felt like they had to shoehorn a movie just because the fans wanted it. And yeah. if we're talking about how, like before you were saying that Marvel shouldn't really listen to what fans um, are doing per se or expecting per se, and that's true to a certain mm. extent, but mm. in this case, they really listened to the fans and they thought they pulled it off, but I just didn't think they pulled it off. It just felt like they had to. They were forced into doing a Black Widow movie because she doesn't have a movie. And I'm going to remember this. Every single time I think about Black Widow is the words that Kevin Feige said. And I'm so disappointed because it didn't happen in Black Widow. When people were asking, I think this was on the press tour of Endgame, or not the press tour, but like all the interviews post-Endgame, because all the spoilers around and everything about Black Widow dying in that film. Um, they said, you know, Tony Stark got a really amazing funeral and a really amazing send-off in Endgame. Does Black Widow get the same? And then he says, quote on, like, this is... An exact quote, he says, we still have one more movie for her. Implying what? implying that we're going to have a great send-off for her. And the only send-off we get is at, in this, the stinger in the credits where Yelena's at the tombstone. At the empty grave. It, without without Hawkeye. And I'm like, that's the send-off you're talking Dude, about? Wow, what a bait. I'm, I hate you for saying that. Like, Unless the send-off happens in Hawkeye. Oh, you reckon? You reckon that's what he means? Nah. No, no, because you see, he literally said... He literally <laughs> said this is, I think Kevin uh, Feige wasn't thinking that Yeah, far. he literally said, like, she has one more movie left. Don't forget that. And I was like, oh, wow, so we're going to get a nice little funeral. And I was waiting for that to happen. And the final mm. act, I was like, okay, cool. They're going to they're gonna fast forward. They're going to finish off this movie by jumping into the main timeline, which is 2023 at that point. Mm. Um. But we only just see Yelena at the tombstone. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. really? <laughs> Let's just say it. I think the best Black Widow movie is everything that Black Widow does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's probably, that's probably a good transition into What If. What do you think? Is that a good transition right there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's transition that's number scary. five, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to start off What If? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. I actually haven't watched all of What If, so oh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff what you haven't watched because then we'll be careful. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, so I watched the first episode, and for me, like a lot of the like I understand what they were doing, but the art for me, the art direction was just very hard for me to, to grasp. So uh, just the animation, me, the style of animation. Yeah, yeah. For me, I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling this, and I understand they're trying to, you know take these different storylines and, and twist them. It's very 90s um, animation, right? I don't know if it's 90s. I don't know what to call it. It's just I'm not a fan of it. And it was just when something's, like, hard for me to watch, then I won't watch it. Yeah, I, so, I get that. Yeah. I will say I, I've I, only watched the first episode and uh, the Doctor Strange episode, oh, which I did really like. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but those, I can't, I mean, I, I, I missed on the Zombies uh, episode, but I, I heard that it didn't get great ratings, but now they're making a whole series out of it. So I don't know if this was kind of like Marvel's way of going, let's test out a few things and see what we can do here and see where it goes. I think yeah. it's in the beta version at the moment, you know, that they're, they're seeing how fans are responding to the material that they're bringing out. And they're mm. just kind of going, hey, let's bring Agatha Harkness out. Because I'm pretty sure this wasn't a part of like Phase 4 and Phase 5. The, mm. the Agatha Harkness is going to be in this and the 997 X-Men series X-Men. that they're going to be doing. So 
Uh, why don't I just throw it over to you, Nathan? Because I know I've actually we've sure. spoken I'll, about what if before, and I know how we've already spoken. So I'll my, my I'll just mention the episodes I like most without any spoilers yeah, okay, for cool. you, JC. I um T'Challa Star Lord episode was my favorite by far. Uh, it just has this great energy where you set again no spoilers. You set the characters up to do the heavy lifting, mm. which the stories have already happened. Like, which, you know, the stories have already happened and been, so we know the Guardians of the Galaxy story, mm. but we also know the character of T'Challa. So you place him into that and you watch the dominoes fall for what that yeah. what that affects and what that changes. And there's a couple of really great character moments in that. And, like, a couple of them, like some of my first laugh-out-loud moments while watching Phase 4 was the very beginning of that episode. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Ultron and The Watcher. Loved oh, yeah. both of those episodes. Yeah. Uh, I love the Doctor Strange episode too, and it was the perfect kind of wild and wacky that I think, hmm. like leading into multi- um, multiverse and madness. It was the I perfect kind of wacky that is due for a character like Doctor Strange, I think. Mm. Yeah, with that horror element and also exactly. like a phenomenal philosophical conundrum. What if you were forever unable to change the fate of yeah. a moment? Mm. Uh, and that that's that's brilliant. So. Yeah. So I will add, I did watch that T'Challa Star Lord episode, but oh, you did? Okay. sorry, I did watch that episode. Um, <laughs> did you love it? And it was, the, so you're right. It, there was a bit of a, a humor in there, which I did find, but it, it kind of got lost. And I think that was because of the animation. I was like, oh yeah, this is funny. But I'm like, I don't remember it after I finished watching it. Yeah, if, so, it if it's yeah. really hard to get past the visuals, it's going to be incredibly difficult to try and pay attention to the story. Yeah. hundred percent agree with that too. And I think the part that the show failed in most was facial animation. Yeah. Like True. I didn't feel like you could connect with characters. There, there started to be this almost like you could only know that it was that person because of their voice and because mm, it, was it was that character, character's yeah, dress yeah. up. And you're already somewhat yeah. connected to these characters from the previous phases. Mm. Um, Sebastian Stan, I was like, that didn't look like a soldier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, who actually didn't look like their character? Um, I mean, I think Chitala didn't really look like Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> Just look yeah, like a, a bit. I don't know, like a model from Runway or something. Like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chiseled jaw. Um, for me, mm. the Doctor Strange episode is actually my favorite out of the whole What If series because it brings up, like what you're saying, like you hit it, you hit it on the point that I was going to make, which is it brings up a philosophical conundrum, and I love that. I love that we're able to challenge mm. someone who's as smart as Doctor Strange, right? To that kind mm-hmm. of like level of, of intelligence, you need to challenge him in different areas that he's not so used to. So yep. giving him a job to try and figure out what what sacrifices are you willing to make in order for you to get what you really want. Mm. That was mm. such a well-written episode. And then by the end of it, it's not the ending that we all want, right? It's an ending that is just completely grim and nothing exists anymore. I was like, mm. "Whoa, are we are we foreshadowing something that potentially happens in Doctor Strange too?" Because remember, um, this is especially for the listeners as well. Kevin Feige said earlier this year that the What If series is part of the same continuity as the MCU. This was something that I wasn't mm. really aware of, not aware of, but I should say that this is something that I was unsure on whether What If series was going to be a part of MCU continuity, and it turns mm. out it is. So. I don't know what that means for future movies and future TV series. I don't know if that means that we get to 
like tap into these different streams, like timeline streams that are coming out of the multiverse cracking from mm-hmm. Loki and Spider-Man No Way Home. But that's pretty fascinating. And I was like, oh, wow, I wonder what they mean by how this is a part of the main continuity. Yeah. Mm. With, with um, again, no spoilers for JC, with certain characters to develop that persona of that character played by certain actors, it would be fantastic. Mm. And I was... Like it's and exciting to see them in the MCU playing that character. Mm. I I think that was what I felt. The the and this is again that like all of this phase four setup stuff was part of putting what if after Loki helping to say to people yes this could happen mm. uh, into the future and and that's what I felt watching it. I was like I felt it. I got excited for it, and I'm still excited for the chance for that. And my rating at the end for what if was eighty eight percent. Wow! Okay, that's just purely <clears throat> from from the numbers, that's guys. Purely from I the like, numbers. I did all my percentages okay. afterwards, but I did my numbers, and I was like, "Yep." It wow, all came okay. from the Doctor Strange episode. No, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Uh, I gave it a five out of five for Marveliness. Okay, it was right. so Marvel. Wow. What this what if that True. that was a big. big it's part definitely of that, yeah. um, a reflection of the comics too, like a huge reflection of the comics. Mm. And mm. if there's anything that is going to be um a tap on the shoulder of the comics it'll be something like what if and mm. maybe the avengers movies as far as like mm. being a direct representation of those comics um and it's a medium that can do that exactly like, it's like there's like no limits to storytelling i think yeah. in what if just touching on sure. the watcher right in uh in volume two when they're jumping from uh when rocket and uh yondu are jumping from... yes that is the watches that, that is, is the, the watches yeah, yeah okay yeah yeah yeah, that, okay. yeah watches with a plural for sure yeah um yeah. Yeah. i don't i don't really know what that means because they've established Uwatu in this. yeah watu is like the established the watcher thing. and watu i think comes from um earth x which is a massive comic issue um, I actually have it sitting on my table and I can see it right now. <laughs> Earth X is a huge comic series and you guys should give it a read. I can let you guys mm. borrow it if you want. It's really, really good. But Watu the Watcher is the main person guiding you through Earth X. Mm. Um, amazing stories. And there's so many great characters that I'm like, oh, I hope they bring this character into the MCU. And mm. um, yeah, it's. I'm pretty sure Watu is probably going to be the only Watcher in the MCU. I could be wrong, but it just seems a mm. little. It just might be a safer move for MCU to just do something like that. Have one watcher to be the person that watches over the entire multiverse or whatever. Mm. Um, but moving on from what if, because we need to keep moving on. We got Shang Chi. What do you guys think? That was a great film. No, 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 no. So there's no sarcasm. I had to just think about the right word I wanted to use. I was Um, was like, that was a great disappointment. (laughs) No, no, that was a great film. Um, You know, having Simu come from a show like Kim's Convenience and then get cast. Did you guys watch that show, by the way? Yeah, yeah. I watched it all the way through. Uh, The ending was a little disappointing. I've only started it, so I'm, and I started it because of Shang. Oh, right. so okay. Well, yeah. I, out for him. Look, uh, it, it's a bit mm, for me. Uh, like, Simu's a great actor, but I feel like his character in in uh, in Kim's comedies, like Jung, is I wouldn't say it's the same as Shang Chi, but I don't see a lot of, uh, I, I guess, tonality in the way he he he, tr- he talks and stuff like that. It's very similar. 
That's not a bad thing, but like was it too similar to Kim Kim's convenience? Yeah, I mean, but you're looking at like an older brother type figure who's rebellious, um, and doesn't talk to his dad. And you look at Shang Chi's character; it's like, well, I'm not talking to my dad. And sorry, I didn't really mean to spoil anything, but it's not really anything. New. I don't know if I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> to be honest, no. It, but look, it's uh, Kim's convenience is a great show. It's like your modern day sitcom, which addresses a lot of. Um, normalities in modern day family which probably wasn't addressed back in earlier shows um Mm -hmm. and you kind of have a laugh out of each the writers did a really great job uh and you get a laugh out of each little segment and there's a lot of diversity and and representation on screen and being a canadian show i was kind of like when i first watched it and because i'm originally from from toronto when i first watched i'm like why does this look like it's shot in canada and then i looked later and i was like oh it is set in canada and uh and (laughs) it's kind of exciting to see that a canadian show was getting globally uh popular um, in that mm. respect and having a, a, a culture that's not uh, Caucasian be at the forefront. Uh, and that was, I found that great. So anyway, going back to Shang-Chi. <laughs> this, um, is a, this is a review uh, on Kim's convenience. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> so uh, I was a bit skeptical about the choreography initially because I was like, sometimes you watch the movies, you're like, yeah, not it. But, you know, this was really, um, maybe I'm overhyping it, but I found it to be quite enjoyable to watch. It wasn't, um, you know, you can't compare it to something like The Raid. If you've seen The Raid, that's oh, just man. You can't compare nonstop. It. No one can no. compare the choreography in The Raid. <laughs> no, but this was definitely enjoyable to watch. There was It wasn't boring. It was exciting. It was, yeah, it was, uh, what I loved about the movie most was the, the representation on screen and, um, whilst I'm not Asian, I do have a lot of Asian friends and even showcasing the, uh, the morning when you see Aquafina and Simu, so Shang-Chi, I should say, <laughs> uh, having, going into their house, having breakfast, having Shang that whole Katie. family, showing them that they take their shoes off when you get inside the house, like little things like that. Um, having representation on screen, whilst it may have been in, uh, traditional Chinese films or other Asian films, um, you may not see that in Hollywood. And I think that's a big mm. step for a lot of people. Um, what did you guys think? Nice. Nathan? I like, so I am, uh, Asian Australian and I've also like a, a person of color and I've often found, <laughs> I think I've talked to, to River about this before. <laughs> my, my intention and connection to diversity is very real. What I loved about Falcon and Winter Soldier, what I loved about Black Panther, it was the same things I loved in Shang-Chi, uh, even like small little quips, like "What's your real? Like what's your what's your Chinese name? Not your not your white name, mm. Katie." When uh, the dad is talking to her, and those little moments, like there is a really lovely settling in of like, uh, yeah, this is ernst and important, and this is probably the largest form of our demographic for MCU world, well, actually, yeah. as well. Mm. Like, and that that's something I've um I've really appreciated moving into this season for for Marvel and for Disney. Uh, I I loved the choreography. I loved the energy. And then it got to the middle of the movie and I just kind of wish Ben Kingsley wasn't in it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, there was this weird drag once they get put into like into the prison and Ben Kingsley comes in and um, there was some pacing stuff that started to happen. Mm. Once they moved from our world to another world, I got a bit frustrated with that. I wished what the bus scene was, was the beginning of more great choreography, mm. not the best of it. And that really, that really bummed me out yeah. as well. Um, if, um, if there's anything to any of the older, like the, the young master and the drunken master, Jackie Chan, early movies, True. 
you watch the first fight scenes and they're ridiculous mm. and then just ramps up from there. Yeah. Uh, and something that I've often appreciated in Eastern cinema and I'm big on my, on my Hong Kong karate films is that there's always been, and Jackie Chan was always part, part of this with his time in Hollywood was dumbing down his choreography for a Western audience. Mm. Uh, and I, I liked when they did that. They didn't do that in this, but at, at the same time, it was still a Western audience. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder how much that played into it for me, but I, yeah, so I love Cheng Chi. I love the character. I'm really excited with where they can take him. Uh, but it was also, again, you could have done a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> that was what I felt. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I loved, I, I, I really love Cheng Chi and it was the, it's been the, the thing I was most excited for in this, in this phase. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. And 63% was my right. data collection analysis. Nice. At the end of that. Okay. Oh, okay. So interesting. <laughs> 63. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but one of my highlights was the Mandarin. I really liked Wei Wu in it. He was, uh, what, what, what brought yeah, that, he was, he, what brought the number down to 63? Like what, what brought, where did it lack? The plot and the pace. Yeah, okay. Pace seems to be the thing yeah. that you and, look and out most. <laughs> they are, but they they also made they also made it a bit marvelly as well. The marvelness yeah, yeah, of it okay. was like the Ben Kingsley stuff. Really, really yeah. And I've, so I've watched through it twice now, and the second time I was like, man, this really is annoying yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, the story was like it wasn't the best, but I understand that they need to reestablish like this character in in the MCU and. There was a bit of pacing, but I think someone made this comment and I agree with it. You kind of forget that it's a Marvel film until you get reminded it's a Marvel film. Yeah. Um, And that was enjoyable because it could be its own great standalone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think if, um, it, it, I think it definitely had that sense of a different corner of, of the MCU where I was like, yep. Shang, his sister, and his dad are the three greatest martial artists in the MCU, and I felt that mm, when I was watching okay. this show and I was at uh, the movie, and I was like, "I love that! I love that they did that." And I also feel like that removes them from the MCU as well in its own True. way. Mm. Like that was cool. Yeah. Um, well, you guys are going to wow. be disappointed about me then. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I actually thought this movie. It's the same space. <laughs> I thought this movie was a massive disappointment. the euro told me yeah (laughs) and i've got a i've got a few good reasons i don't want to talk about them too much because we've got to keep moving as well it's getting really time critical here um but the thing that i was actually disappointed the most with was actually shang chi himself um Mm. i wasn't i wasn't convinced that you get shang chi who has this background in which he was pretty much tortured as a as a kid right he was mm. traumatized by all the training that he was forced to do. They were training him to be an assassin at such a young age. They even he even says that as a as a character, like he's, he he mm. makes he makes a big deal about the fact that he was forced into being an assassin when he was a kid. And I didn't buy it for once that when we meet him as an adult, he has no sense of trauma. He has no sense of like being this badass guy. Like, how is he this generous and happy guy? And very optimistic yeah. about the world when he had that kind of background, and then mm. we, and then when we get to the end and he's sitting at the pond or the lake or whatever it is next to his best friend Aquafina, he says, mm. "I'm gonna have to kill my dad." I was like, "Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> so <laughs> how did how did you go from being this kid who was tortured, right, and then?" Now you're all of a sudden like this positive, happy guy in the future, and you're mm. very likable. You 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 have this charisma that everybody can 
feel you can connect to, that's great. But that's a very mm. big inconsistent and a disconnection from where you were as a child. And then you get to the end of it and he's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm like, oh, so you're all of a sudden a cold-blooded killer? Like, <laughs> that made zero sense to me. I was so upset about like how they wrote his character arc. Um, they could have, there, there seems to be this, this mid part of his character arc, which is when he's an adult that they just didn't address or make the connection to when he was younger. And then especially when he becomes a cold blooded killer willing to kill his dad, but then he gets to that point, mm. he doesn't even kill his dad anyway. So yeah. um, it, it was, it was a bit of a mess. And I was like, man, Shang-Chi, you're supposed to be the guy that I really want to root for when you get into the future, bigger films, when you have a bigger responsibility, when it become when it comes to like the, avengers level threat right mm. that was the biggest disappointment there's a there's a litany of reasons i can also give why this movie was a big disappointment but i will tell you, i will tell you what i really liked about it i did love the fact that there were so many martial artists that we've never seen in the mcu i love the mm. fact that we got mm. to see great choreography we haven't seen that kind of fire choreography in the mcu film before and i actually follow mm. the mm. dude you know the guy that plays uh the mask. What's what's the mask guy's name? Death, Death, Death Dealer. Dealer. Oh, okay. I follow that guy on yeah. YouTube. I've been following him since he started his YouTube channel. It's called the Martial Arts Club, and he's the guy that done pretty much most of the choreography, and he plays the Death Dealer. Amazing guy to watch on like YouTube and stuff. I can't believe they killed him off. I was so annoyed. That was pretty disappointing. I mean, he's probably gutted as well. He's not going to get another gig for MCU. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, he can. He wore a mask. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you should follow. You guys should follow him on YouTube and Instagram. What's the martial arts club? That's it. Awesome guy. They make amazing content. They do a lot of throwbacks to their favorite um, Hong Kong film and martial art movies. So. You know, they bring up bring back that whole um, cheesy sound effects with martial arts movies with the like, duh, yeah, duh, duh, uh, and, and all the <laughs> different kind of like punching sound effects. They do all of that in all their movies or their um, yeah, YouTube awesome. content. Anyway, so yeah, the, that's what I really liked about it. I did, I did like, um, I actually preferred Shang-Chi's sister more than Shang-Chi as a character because she had a better arc. It made like her arc actually made sense. You know, she was deprived of learning martial arts. She was mm. deprived of of being recognized by her parents, especially the father. And then she, because yep. she was deprived of that, she, she decided herself. to train herself. Yeah. And then by the end of it, she's mm. like, "I'm going to take over the organization." And I was like, "Great, that's a great arc. It made sense." Mm. But then Chang Chi should have had something similar to that. It just his arc never really made any sense to me. Mm. Um. Mm. That's what I really appreciate. No, I hear that absolutely. Yeah, that's those are the things that I kind of like about it. I do like the filming is very different. I love like the cinematic, or not the stylistic filmmaking that they do in the forest. It's very reminiscent of um, Crouching Tiger mm. and Dragon. Love that because yeah, I think yeah, Crouching yeah. Tiger and Dragon is one of the best, if not the best, martial arts film. And I can die on the hill, and everybody can battle me for that if they want. Just phenomenal. it's a very good and film. and having Michelle, mm. having Michelle, having Yao Michelle Yao come, come back in, in again. Was yeah, so good. I was like, that was oh. really cool. And then, like, the last thing I'll say about this is that the ending was just completely trash. I just didn't understand like, why why they just went in the direction. It's like they dumped a whole bunch of like CGI battle sequences, which is I'm you know I'm always yeah. I'm always up for that. Like you know I love what they do with the Avengers. I love what they do with massive battle yep. scenarios, but this just felt like a huge mess. And there was only like five people mm. involved. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like this massive, yep. like yep. battle sequence, these two dragons or like a tentacle dragon fighting another dragon. 
and mm. and there's like 20 people on the battlefield. I'm like, are they supposed to make us think yeah. that this is very high stakes? It doesn't feel like high stakes. They they clearly told us that they're in a different world. They're in this fantastical world, which is great, by the way. Mm. I love how they can introduce fantastical yeah. characters and fantasy elements. Talo, like that's great. That's really awesome. Yeah. But the way they dealt mm. with that whole material is like, what is this? This is a big mess. Well, even, I don't know if you remember, there was even that bit where Michelle Yao's character is telling them about how Talo isn't just this village. It's also great epic cities, <laughs> which are more like populous True. and more technologically yeah. advanced than Wakanda. Right, and right. And you're like, oh, well, show us that. Like, <laughs> show us, that, don't tell us. I would have loved to see this like crazy, like, um, if you guys know much about Afrofuturism, like having an Asian futurism as well, which yep. is already kind of something of the present. Right. <laughs> you know, the Singapore's, Macau. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that, that would have been like awesome to see that kind of energy. And you get a bit of that with Macau and, um, and uh, oh, what's, um, I just keep thinking Mei Mei, her, his name for sister. Oh, no, is that Mimi? Mimi. Uh, his, his sister's oh, fight club yeah, that's right. that yeah, she yeah, has. Yeah. That's that, very... that kind of, I, I kind of wish that more a, like Asian True. futurism was present with yeah. Carlo. Mm. And I was like, I don't mind them going back to like uh, a more ancient yeah. China, but at the same time, yeah. Yeah. It was funny. Oh, actually, <laughs> the, one, the one other thing that I really liked about this was the stinger. <laughs> the mid credit scene. Yeah, yeah. That was amazing. The fact that we get to connect it with yeah. something that they've never actually recognized or understand this material, this piece of technology, the rings, yeah. which yeah, uh, yeah. we all have theories for, but maybe we can get into those theories a little bit later. Should we just jump? When we talk about yeah, Eternals? Should we jump straight into Eternals? <laughs> give a quick um, summary. Wait, wait, wait. Yep. Play, play, the, play the transition sound so we know. Play the transition <laughs> sound. Okay. We're going to go into Eternals right <laughs> There we go. <laughs> We might need to, you might need to edit this one, River. Who knows? No, I don't know, I don't know. Should I jump in and tell my first impressions? Because I um, haven't actually had that chance. Yeah, you no. go first. <laughs> go, go. Yeah. All right, so Eternals, I actually, I reviewed this recently. It was actually one of my first, if not the first episode that I reviewed on Legit Cool. But um, it's also another movie that was a bit of a disappointment. And the biggest disappointment comes in the form of too many characters being a part of this really big saga. Um, way too many characters. I have no idea why Kevin Feige greenlit this idea of doing 10 characters. I thought he knew better than that. <laughs> we spent, you know, when I say we, I'm talking about us being a part of the Kevin Feige family. You know, we spent this whole time <laughs> building up five, six great characters leading up to the Avengers film in 2012. And then all of a sudden they want to mm. jam pack 10 new characters into one film, like an Mm. Or eleven, yeah. None of that was earned for me. I don't know. Like when people are saying that they liked this film, I'm I'm struggling to understand what they liked about it. Yes, you can say the visuals amazing, which I can agree with everybody. The visuals is probably honestly the best filmmaking visuals we've seen in the MCU film because it also feels different. It looks like a movie that was directed by Christopher Nolan, or um, or at mm. least like the 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 way he, the the camera use in this and the cinematography is. Reminds you of like Denis Villeneuve or Christopher Nolan. I don't want to underplay mm. um, Chloe Zhao here, but um, she does a great job at using that kind of mm. filmmaking that makes it really gritty and tangible that it's a part of the world that we're all familiar with. So that's great. Mm. But just unfortunately, it was so underwhelming because there was way too many characters and I, I couldn't actually connect with any of them. When people are saying they connect with these characters, I'm like, what are you connecting to? The fact that it's a famous person, Angelina Jolie? Like... Like, I felt like they just had to carry these characters because of the famous people. And the ones that weren't so famous, you're kind of just like, 
all right, I don't know what you're doing here. Like you, you're not really contributing to anything. Like Sprite, for example, I don't know what Sprite's contribution was really <laughs> to, especially mm. in the end sequence. I mean, the only thing she does is just stab one of her Eternals. <laughs> um, mm. So that that's kind of a disappointment. But the upside is that I love, I do love the character Cersei and I do love the character Icarus. I wanted to see more of their relationship because their relationship just wasn't really believable for me. They just spoke about how they're really close and and literally mm. just dropped the fact that they've been together for 5,000 years. I'm like, okay, great. But, I mean, that's just words to me. <laughs> I don't really care about your relationship otherwise. Um, mm. And I think the score is pretty good for the most part. When it gets to the battle sequences, when they're fighting, the fighting sequences, as as good as they are, they felt like they were a different movie compared to the movie that we were watching, right? Mm. Like, I just felt like it was a different film. <laughs> I was like, you got this action movie and then you got this heavy dramatic or some sometimes melodramatic piece on screen for like a good hour and a half and then all of a sudden we've got these amazing Marvel, going back to that Marvel thing, you know, Marvel-esque action movies. Like, oh, yeah, it's a Marvel movie. I'm like, I felt mm. like they were just two different movies and I was like, it's great, but I'm like, huh, they're not really the same thing anyway so that's my piece um i'll throw it over to you guys nathan you go <laughs> i loved it i oh, loved it i what? actually i know i think i've talked to i to turn him off on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah bring it on bring it on i um i i i think for me i love the otherworldly i love um i love good cinematography and uh for for me as well i can um suspend certain disbeliefs which i really enjoyed so <laughs> i i think i talked to river after because we saw this oh, we saw this in the uh, same yeah on yeah, its release right. yeah. yeah that was um what uh, what i did like was the diversity where i was like yeah if um if these uh beings were sent to earth to shepherd it into uh it's unknowing demise <laughs> these people into that 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 these um these ten eternals would be representative of the people and would be able to slip into that world uh, but also influence it, and so I um I'm a big mythology uh, buff, and I I, I love uh, playing pretend for these very human characters mm. who are also so otherworldly and immortal and basically gods that you could see how they could have wended and influenced humanity's creation. So I actually I think what I like when I when I watched it, uh, and I've seen it twice as well, was seeing um. Maybe the sense that Chloe Zhao was letting uh, history or the mythological history of humanity do the storytelling on her mm. behalf so that she could say Festus is representative of Hephaestus gotcha. or mm. uh, um, even Sprite. You could imagine her as the pixie that inspired Peter Barry to write Peter Pan right. or the Irish mm. to like have this love of fairies um, or uh, even... Um, Athena, especially Athena, actually Athena and uh, Angelina Jolie's character mm. as being the huntress goddess of the right. Greeks, uh, and all of all of them also being this like hodgepodge family. That yeah, so my my love of this movie was more built into uh, certain philosophical um, questions that are raised. Yeah. So for them having to decide on and have responsibility for the humanity that they've like helped grow. Uh, and also, um, I, I like. I, I felt it wasn't very marvelly, and yeah. I like that. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> um, I did. I and I did really enjoy the action. The action and the energy of the action was what I wanted more of in Shang Chi. The True. amount of action and energy, yeah. uh, and I felt that the drama hit deeper. So 
like all those things being said, I really enjoyed it. I didn't mind having 10 characters if they chose to focus on some. And I do feel Gemma Chan's Cersei character was quite weak to be the mm, protagonist. Mm. And by quite weak, like you, you knew more about a lot of other people. And I'm, I haven't mentioned this at all to anyone, but I, my favorite character was Kingo's valet. <laughs> he was representative of humanity. He was and at fun. The end, he even was when fun. Kingo just he leaves. Was fun. And he's like, he, he, he's like, even when they pray, when, um, when they're burying Gilgamesh, right. but also just at the end when he's like, thank you so much. Yeah. Mm. You know, like, I really appreciate it. I'm a yeah. human on this I really show. appreciate it. Though. And so I, I, lo- I love that. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, so I felt a lot watching this movie and I, I enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's my defense. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, I gave it a six, 67% was my, okay. my final. You know, I can probably sometimes. agree with the percentage for that way. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. Like, I definitely don't think it was. Yeah. I, I hear you, River. All right. Ah, okay. okay. <laughs> JC? I'm trying to think of where. Okay. I was looking at where it is in my rankings. <laughs> so I think maybe it's, yeah. a bit low, maybe it's a bit lower than that. Um, Look, I agree with uh, Gemma Chan, like Cersei. Sorry, not Gemma Chan, but Cersei's character being the the forefront. Like, I like I think Rib and I were talking about how uh, what's her name, Salma Hayek's character was quite powerful, but yeah. obviously throughout the story it gets changed. Um, the biggest disappointment yeah, of her character, just it's, like it's dying halfway through the movie. <laughs> yeah, look, and I know that these things have to happen in some of these films, but um, you know, I, I found that it's it's really weird and probably. Uh, not off-putting, I don't know what the word is, but to have Angelina Jolie not be at the forefront, you know, having her play this background character was a little bit strange for me to understand. And it's not a bad thing. Like, of course, if that's the role she's gone for, that's fine. Um, I found the cinematography, like you have Chloe Zhao's like beautiful visuals. And when you you see these flashbacks to um, Icarus's and Cersei's relationship, you see these beautiful visuals and you do feel in those moments. Mm. I, I did like, oh my God, this is wow. This is nice. The writing and execution, however, when you put all these elements together, I feel like there's something amiss. Like you see, the, you hear these one-liners that come in, and you just feel like, okay, that was funny, but like the execution was not right, or the timing wasn't right. Mm. Um, and that was largely with uh, Kingo's. Uh, you know, it was a lot of like Kumail Nanjiani's kind of humor, um, and I feel like his character in a lot of you know a lot of things, like even in Silicon Valley, if you haven't watched that, that's a great that's a great series. Uh, it just, you know, he almost feels like he plays Dinesh in that series. And it almost feels like the way he just portrays Kingo is almost very similar um, with the humor and just his sort of attitude. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing that really bothered me, and I think I spoke to River about this, is like, why was he not in the final battle? Why was Kingo just dis- like, I'm like, oh, like no. I was all <laughs> I was, like, I was saying to River, I was like, I was counting on my hand during the, during the movie. I was like, one, two, three, Kingo's going to appear. And I kept counting. I'm like, oh, he hasn't shown up yet. <laughs> I'm like, he still hasn't shown up. And then, uh, you know, like I, I found that to be really off-putting. Um, but then I think we liked how we had that kind of meta where you, you can you can mention like Batman and Superman, like you have Clark Kent mentions, uh, where they used to be really taboo before. And uh, you had, you know, you, you'd see the, the Star Wars in the background references and stuff. And that was kind of cool. Mm. Um, I, think, I think the explanation look, for Kingo not being in there was that he just didn't agree with how the Eternals were going to deal with Icarus. And, but yeah, mm. he disagrees with Icarus. Or even well. with, even with Tiamat, with Tiamat as well. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah sorry. true, true, true. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's a good point. Mm. He just didn't agree with how the Eternals were going to deal with this whole um, conflict. So yeah, that was his explanation. 
and and I agree, mm. probably should have should have been a better explanation. It just didn't really make any sense <laughs> with his character, I suppose. But um, <laughs> yeah, like his character's supposed to be a loyal person, so I guess we can give them that. But it just wasn't enough. I was like, okay, cool. You're just not going to include an Eternal, okay? Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he had a mix of both being loyal, considering them his family, not liking the family dispute, and also he said it the most that Icarus was yeah. the strongest. Yeah. And I think he was like, I don't want to get into a quarrel with Icarus, he, both because he's my brother and also because he's too strong. Too strong mm. kind of yeah. And the inevitability of this all, it's almost like not only was he resigned to his fate, but he's kind of just, this is what we were made to do. Mm. Which again, I think so. I, so that's why and that's I was a nod like, at his cool, loyalty, I, can, I suppose, right? I yeah. can dig. That's Because yeah, he's very loyal yeah. to, to Ashim. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And you feel that as uh, the movie progresses. And by the way, he wouldn't have been and, able and to he do anything Ajax, yeah. He has freaking guns, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> guns, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, until he does his Kamehameha blast. <laughs> true, true. I was so stoked when he does his Kamehameha, Kamehameha blast. But Shang-Chi can do that too, so whatever. Uh, just, just going back to volume two, though, because uh, you know how, you know, the first, if I'm not mistaken, Ego is the first celestial we get exposed to, right? Ego? Uh, no, he's, he's not the first. The first celestial we get exposed a, to is um, I can't remember his name, but he's the one that picks up the power stone. The searcher? Uh, not, like not Ronan. No, 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 no. He picks up the power stone he and he decimates um, one of the planets. You know, through the demonstration that Benito del Toro Guardians and Guardians one. That's the first. Oh, yeah, one. that's the first okay. celestial we see. We don't really get introduced to celestials. Is it the collector? The basically, just says that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's his name. Yeah. The collector just says that the, this is what happened with this is how the infinity stones exist and this is how it's used and you see how uh, it's on a planet. Um, but just talking about how, like you know, I don't know if this is in a parallel, but like Ego's obviously mission is to you know have his expansion and needs Quill to to help you know power that expansion. Yeah. Um, where I was going with this now. <laughs> um, Celestials and Eternals. Celestial, yeah. But it's just interesting to see how, like, uh, Arshin was wanting, you know, team up to rise. And I guess this is going to come into the, maybe the theory part later about where this phase is going or where future phases are going and who the, the next big bad is going to be. But, you know, we're like I was saying before, we've got Kang at the forefront, which everyone is talking about. But, like, if the Celestials are a much bigger threat uh, and you have, uh, you know, other people like later on, if they're bringing Fantastic Four, I'm not going to say anything after that. But like you know, just where this can go is, you know, I don't think it's necess- like I said, I don't think it's necessarily going to be Kang. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, I just think the movie could have been done a little bit better. I think there was just a bit of a rush, and I think having yeah, like you were saying, too many characters and only having a few to get a, a bit of limelight is fine, but. It kind of makes you question, like, if this is the only uh, standalone film that they're doing, because um, they haven't. Second one hasn't been green. No, I, yet, I right? think I think we just have to presume that the Eternals are going to appear individually across different films, or maybe as yeah. a collective. You know, the Eternals finishes on only the three being taken into Celestial Jail or whatever. That's Kingo, mm-hmm. Fastos, and Cersei. They're the three that have been taken mm-hmm. away. But then the other Eternals, such as... Um, uh, oh, Sprite's still on Earth because Sprite's an, a human now. We've got yeah. Athena yeah, yeah. and we've got Druig and Makari. They're on the ship. Um, mm-hmm. And then they meet the most disappointing character to be introduced into this, Harry Styles. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he is a character. Uh, isn't he? Uh, he is a bit of a character. I mean, and you know, that character is a little bit of a throwaway character in the comics. Um, mm. He's just a guy that doesn't really have a power other than the fact that he his power is about seducing people. He can make them very, like, lust after him. That's literally right. his only power. Um, so maybe Harry Styles is the best person for that. I don't know how much mm. he's going to enter the MCU. I hope not much because, mm. I mean, it's not just the fact that Harry Styles, I think he's a good actor. I like what he done in Dunkirk. I think he's actually really good in Dunkirk, even though it's a small part, but I think he's he done a good job. Um, the fact that he's playing this character, I don't think he's going to be appearing much. I think he's a character that's just going to die. He's, go- he's a guy that's just going to set up yeah. maybe Adam Warlock because that troll, mm. Pip the Troll is famously... Um, known to be with Adam Warlock in the comics, so it was mm. weird when when um, mm. um, Eros is it Eros Eros yeah, yeah when Eros. he when he sh- Star yeah Fox. Star Fox when he shows up I'm like mm. Star Fox Harry Styles like what the heck <laughs> and then he's got but Pip the Troll I was like oh as soon as Pip the Troll came out I actually thought Adam Warlock was going to appear because remember they already they already announced the casting for Adam Warlock mm. which is um, and they've had two Will yeah Will Poulter well. that guy's great by the way. What a good casting. Yeah. I never would pick that to be a really good casting, but that's a really good choice. Um, so I thought that Will Potter was going to appear. I was like, oh, wow. But then it was Star Star Fox. And I was like, what? Mm. Uh, that doesn't really make sense, but whatever. Mm. Um, so that's, I guess, I guess we can just wrap up Eternals there. Um, All right, you didn't want to talk about your highlight, your stinger? Oh, Come on, man. Uh, I, I left that totally for you. It. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> I think I just wanted to move on from Eternal Star. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, the the best part about that was just the fact that I was screaming and yelling, Blade. Did you hear me, by the way, Nathan, across the cinema? Like, I yelled out, Blade. Yeah, I was you like, were so oh, loud. Blade! And everyone else was like, who, who is that? And I was like, that's Blade, man. That is Blade. Mersha <laughs> um, Mer- Ali appears or disembodied. Um, and the voice, he famously just says, what does he say? I actually forgot what he says. Are you ready for that? And it's so weird because I was listening to other YouTubers or watching other YouTubers and listening to other podcasters, um, all of them being unsure on who that voice was. Like, how are you unsure on Mahersha Ali's voice, man? It's so distinct. <laughs> it is so distinct. But I guess if you haven't seen many of Mahersha Ali's movies, I've seen quite a few of his movies. Mm. Um He's got a very distinct voice, so it was really cleverly done. I got super hyped, but then immediately after that, I was like, "So when is Blade showing up? Then <laughs> like, mm. is he showing up very like sooner than we expect?" Or yeah, yeah, that was. Ooh, if he, yeah, it's it's good to like it's good to know that the Eternals are heading towards a more space sure. theme thing mm. and, then leaving, and leaving Earth. Leaving Black Knight down yeah. here to do something cool with the Blade. Black Knight is a really Let's cool open comic, up that corner. I've actually read um, three issues with uh, Black Knight, and he's it, it's it's not an overly interesting character, but I'm just trying to um, imagine what this character would be like in the MCU. MCU, um, yeah, because yeah. he, he yeah. has a lot. John to, yeah, Jon Snow, exactly. Jon Snow with claw. Yeah, shout out John to the Claude. Game of Thrones, like um, Homer RJ for <laughs> representation. <laughs> on yeah. How about that? Um, so, so from Eternals, yeah. let's, shall we just move straight into our quick, and when I say quick, I mean quick, <laughs> a, a quick summary of um, Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home, and then we'll get into oh, our yeah, ranking, and then we'll just talk a little yeah. bit about Spider-Man No Way Home. We can do Hawkeye. Yeah, we'll do Hawkeye. Legit Cool's got plenty of plenty of exactly. Hawkeye content already. We'll do Hawkeye later. A, a third of the, but I'll just a third drop of the cast so far is Hawkeye. Show, 
It's so good. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm all oh, for no. it. Number one. Homecoming. Spider-Man, no way. Oh, yes. Spider-Man Homecoming. Let's go. JC, what do you got? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was a great reintroduction for Spider-Man into the MCU. I mean, we know, I know we had the first exposure through Civil War, but um, having Tom Holland have his standalone, have his hero's journey, you know, that typical, mm-hmm. you're, if you don't have the suit, what are you? Or like, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve it. And uh, oh, you, know, you gave away my part. Good. I was going to say, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> good spin. But, um, good spin you, on great responsibility. Though. Yeah. That's yeah. coming up. And, That's coming uh, up in the third movie for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I really, what I really loved about this was, um, you know, they, they portray Liz to be the love interest and you have like Michelle in the background, like having all these sarcastic comments. You're like, who the hell is this girl? And then that big reveal at the end is like, oh, they call me MG. I'm like, ah, oh. and that was a, that was a big moment for me. You know what's funny, MG? Um, I actually didn't even realize that was going to be MJ because I didn't look at the um, credit crawl. I didn't look at the right. like, IMDb cast. Um, I knew that Zendaya was going to be in it. I just didn't know that she was going to be cast as MJ. And so that was a bit of a surprise for me. It was like it was a nice surprise. I was like, "Oh, that's MJ." I was like, "Why is he falling in love with this random ass chick that I've never heard of in the Spider Man yeah. universe?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I really did like the addition of Ned Leeds because if you look at um, you know the previous Spider Man iterations, you really only had MJ or you had um, Gwen, sorry. right? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't hear that. Um, but then you had you know obviously you had Ben in, in the previous iterations as well. Uncle Ben, sorry. Um, but I like that they took the vulture on, and I was saying to, to River before, like I really love Keaton and the way he acts. Like I feel like he does a really great job in in terms of um, embodying his characters. And you know, it's just a different take. You've had Green Goblin, you've had Doc Ock, you've had uh, Vulture, you've had Electro, and and all that. So now taking Vulture, um, and I thought that was a nice way to, to set up the first of these trilogies uh, moving forward. They could have gone with something like Venom. They could have gone with something like you know, just throw something in. But I think that they really did good planning with this to go, okay, let's set up with Vulture first and let's see where this goes into, if you're going to take it into Sinister Six. Nice. Mm. That's awesome. All right, cool. Yeah. Nice. I like it. Short. Let's go. <laughs> Nathan. Homecoming. Homecoming. Oh, man. Homecoming. Vulture, bro. Just the best. I think Keaton's got anything he, he does. He's just got the crazy eyes. He's got the crazy like, eyes. No, yes. Like, yes. And you watch, you watch Burton. It's Batman, those eyebrows, man. Dude. It's those eyebrows. Like, you, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. It's like, there's no way you're like the hero in Batman. And I feel like it's that, like, there's that perfect sense of that. And then there's also such great dad energy. Mm. And, and so when he opens the door, when he goes to pick up Liz, I was like, man, this is, and I remember it in the cinema, it's just getting chills. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, and it, and it's it's great because it like represents you as a 15-year-old boy about to go on a date with a girl and you're meeting the dad, except the dad's also been trying to kill you. Yeah. And, like, and you feel that for reals. So um, I dig it, man. Um, the Homecoming and Far From Home, like John Hughes energy is like the other part that I'm just so nice. big on. And I think what these movies have done so well is both like, in, like encapsulated youth encapsulated being young and also made this like the, the all the spider-man that i am just watching homecoming and far from home this last week in preparation like they just have this sense of this little otherworldliness that doesn't feel yeah. marvel and it makes the spider-man world feel like spider-man's world while still having man like tony stark appear in homecoming without overshadowing spider-man yeah. i think that was probably what they did uh, the best. I agree with that. I totally yeah. agree with that. All right. I'm mm. going to give my, my uh, quick review 
just with a few quotes from the movie, actually. <laughs> so my first quote is, um, it's actually not a quote. It's actually the first thing that we, one of the first things we see on screen is a film by Peter Parker. I thought that's such a meta way of telling the story because the whole film is so literally good. about uh, a film from, about, uh, sorry, from Peter Parker. It's, it's kind mm-hmm. of like his way of, of us, it was a way of us seeing what his world is going to be like through his eyes and the way he's going to write it. Mm. When we go on the journey with him throughout the film, he's trying to write his own story, right? He's trying to write his own journey to becoming the hero that he really needs to live up to or wants to live up to. Mm. But he's always faced with different challenges and always arguing and conflicting with Tony Stark, Tony Stark being his number one mentor, his sort of replacement to uncle Ben or something like that, you know? Um, Mm. Mm. So I think the way that it starts with a film by Peter Parker was just ingenious. It was awesome. Um, A quote here. See if you guys can actually pick this up. That's not a hug. I'm just grabbing the door. (laughs) (laughs) You're not there yet. (laughs) And then of course that's paid off in Endgame, which was such a, such a moment. Um, Here's another one of Mm. my favorite quotes. Pretty sure this guy is a war criminal now, but whatever. I have to show these videos that's required by the state. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and alongside that, it's like, I took his oh, shirt. Yeah, I did. That yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that guy's good. so good. He's actually in No Way Home as well. So it's because he's not oh, really yeah, in Far True. From Home, is he? The PE Who, teacher. Far From Home? Oh, no, he's not in, he's not in Far nah, From Home. Because they're yeah, all that's right. Yeah, so yeah. he's in No Way Home. I saw the cast list for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So good. Um, and then another one of my favorite quotes: "Karen, stop the instant kill already." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also paid. Also off paid in off in Endgame. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Which was like, oh, they're never. He's never going to use that. I love that they use that. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And then this is. I wonder if you know this one. You should know this one. And I want to try and reiterate it the same way the character does. I'm looking at porn. <laughs> <laughs> that was so like that is, that is so good. I think he's he's yeah, such so amazing man. Like bestie for Peter Parker. There's, those guys are perfect together. But and him and Betty Brant and then oh, yes, right, right. oh my gosh, that, that was so. so I was good. like, dude, very very good. So funny. I, man. I like I like how Ned, you know, being a. A, a best friend of a superhero. Of course, you're going to ask them all these questions. Did you find this? Did you do this? And you just keep bickering your friends. Like, shut up, Ned. Can I tell? Just, can I tell? Just, <laughs> just, yeah, like, it's like, can I wear the suit? It's just like, yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, all the questions that he keeps um, asking and annoying Peter Parker with, you know, as soon as he finds out he's Spider-Man, which is right in the, in the first act, I yeah. thought that was such a great way to, to build or start building on their relationship together. The fact that he knows who, mm, who yeah. Spider-Man is right in the beginning. Mm. Let him into the same exactly, sure. and then my last quote is the one that JC stole. Sorry, <laughs> if <you're>, I'm just <laughs> gonna say it anyway because I'm gonna say it better. No. <laughs> if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. Yeah. I mean, that's such a powerful line from Tony, like super powerful, so and like the way he just shuts him down. You know, just on that um, yeah. in that little scene, he shuts him down by saying, yeah. "No, zip it." The uh, the adults are talking now. The adults are talking. Now. Oh, yeah. adults are talking. this is like an angry yeah. Tony I haven't really seen before, or maybe seen yeah. for a long time. 
But like father protector. Father yeah, protector. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what I love about their relationship. He's like a father figure mm. to him, the father that he never really had or the father that we don't even yeah. know he has because they haven't actually mentioned it in the MCU. Mm. <laughs> um, but he is a yeah. father figure for him, but he's also a role model, an inspirational role model for mm. him. And um, yeah, the last thing that I actually wrote, because I wrote a massive long list of notes for Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, <laughs> the last thing I wrote was Peter proves to Tony and Happy that he's not ready to be an Avenger. His next step mm. is to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. So that's a really mm. good way mm. of him trying to understand more about his position and his power, his powerful responsibility um, uh, leading into Far From Home. So why don't we just talk quickly about Far From Home and then we'll get into No Way Home. Just, I want to add to that just quickly. I like how he says, you know, he wants to stay on the ground, right? And then he ends up going to space. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Right? He's like, oh, I want to stay on the ground. That's right. right. You've been been to space. Anyway, um, Homecoming. Sorry, Nathan, you can go first. No, far from home. Oh, well, no, that was... Oh, sorry, sorry. I was like, I wanted to start with a quote, which was, bitch, please. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is good. It's... Yeah, so Far From Home, I don't like as much as Homecoming. I agree. I and agree. my two ratings, Homecoming was 97% and Far From Home's 92%. Oh, it's okay. close, okay. However, it's close. it is tight. And I like the more I think about it, I think this rewatch just last night of Far From Home for me kind of really settled it into its place where I was like, I wasn't like, I wasn't really keen on the rewatchability. And maybe again, this is me getting excited about where something can go and... In all honesty, it would have been awesome if Mysterio was exactly who he said he was. True. You know? mm. And I think it was that same thing about prepping the concept of multiverse by saying, this guy's from a multiverse, and then pulling that rug out from under you and saying, actually, no, he's just one of Stark's employees. Yeah. You know? And I think the best thing about any Spider-Man villain is their connection to science mm. and their um, the way that they've um, been wronged and how they take that with them. Mm. And like all of the Raimi trilogy did that so well. I'm keen for a new Jamie Foxx. I can't wait. <laughs> um, but I loved, I loved this sense of Mysterio actually not just being Jake Gyllenhaal, even though he was super deranged and incredible. Mm. But Mysterio was all of those Stark employees that were yeah. screwed over. And they're actually all Mysterio working together. That's a, to that's that. a good point. Mm. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Mm. which yeah which and it, and it helps in the same sense vulture was screwed over by stark and um and i guess prior to that like you have well vulture was screwed over by um the avengers i, I guess. well by damage, damage, damage control, control. Yeah, yeah yeah but it um yeah i think for me like <clears throat> i loved again far from home being a, a way to travel when you can't travel so mm. i just really enjoyed it on this rewatch being able to be like oh i'm in europe and <laughs> Yes, this is what it is like being teenagers traveling yeah. through Europe, which I've had the, the privilege of doing when I was mm-hmm. young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it's like, I think the best thing about Far From Home is that sense of, again, finding realistic challenges for Peter as he's mm-hmm. already jumped the shark of becoming an Avenger who's been to space mm-hmm. and being now in a world without any Avengers around and suddenly he's got a responsibility, but he also just wants to be a kid still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's just like, yeah, I think at its core, any good Spider-Man story is Peter Parker being himself while also being this persona. Mm-hmm. Um, Spider-Man isn't as much him as, anyone can be Spider-Man. And mm. I think that's the thing I love. And that's what I loved about, again, going 
sideways again to multiverse, Spider-Verse, Miles Morales is that that representation is shown in, multi- in, in Spider-Verse where it's like, yeah, anyone could be Spider-Man understanding that when they have those powers or those responsibilities, they mm. can actually take that up and take up that mantle. So yeah, that's mm. a good point. Spider-Man's the best. JC. <laughs> mm. um, so I think the first time I watched Far From Home, I don't remember if we watched together, River, or I do remember watching it in the cinema. But my initial response was, um, I think with the whole Mysterio reveal and, and stuff like that, like it felt like the misdirection felt very similar to um, Iron Man 3. Oh, had the Mandarin. yeah, right. And I was like, oh, and I started comparing. I was like, oh, I don't enjoy this. Like I felt like I was gypped in a way. Mm. But after rewatching it recently, like I had a newfound appreciation for it. Um, you know, I do like the visuals that they did, especially with Mysterio, like that whole like uh, – the hallway scene, I don't know, with like he was uh, the whole visual oh, effects, yeah. you know, and I guess that's mm. what Mis- that's Mysterious, that's his gig. Yeah. Um, they went full on like, comic nerd there, actually. Yeah, Man, but that was so really good. enjoyable to watch. It like <laughs> kind of was taken out of the real world, but into this sort of comic book world. It's like, oh wow, this is kind of cool. Um, yeah, it was interesting to see how, how they took the story because obviously they implemented the, the fake Fury and, and Maria Hill. It's like, oh, you know, there's all these elementals around and you know, we have to defeat them and uh, just I, I think there was a, a definitely a lot more cohesion building on the previous story that they did with Homecoming into Far From Home. So you're building on the, the relationship between Ned and MJ and obviously MJ working out that she that Peter Spider-Man. That was kind of cool rather than mm. him telling her. Mm. And even Aunt May as well. And May. Yeah, that was at the end of Homecoming. The end. She's like, what the? What a great way to end that. Oh, yeah. man. Oh, God. Yeah. A great what payoff the... yeah. for this one as well. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the payoff at the end of True. Uh, this next one. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully there should be some kind Maybe. of um, talking. Going back to Eternals quickly, but you have Kumail Nanjiani in Silicon Valley. I don't know if you guys know, but Mr. Star, who plays the, the decathlon teacher, is de- uh, Guilfoyle in Silicon oh, Valley. Okay. And the chemistry between those two in the in the series is just worth watching because they're just bickering at each so other. So you want to see so Kingo have... and um, the decathlon teacher? <laughs> yeah, they just go at it because um, his, the teacher role that he plays, Kingo he plays right off to school. Yeah, he, he plays this kind of like satanic, like atheist uh, developer. And, uh, you know, Kamal cool. uh, Nanjiani's character is just like typical. Oh, sure, I didn't say typical, but this person of color who represents a de- like a, almost like a, imported developer and this the back the back and forth that they have is just it's classic so i'll, I'll leave it awesome. at that but um awesome. it's interesting interesting to see how these two characters have come from a completely different world uh into like the mcu playing like you know different different characters sure. but no far from home um yeah i, I have a much better appreciation for it now and also the stinger at the end it's kind of like well wow, that's interesting to see like how you know talus has has been representing uh you know, Nick Fury, yeah. but then you see Nick Fury up in the spaceship. So yeah. that's kind of exciting scene, Secret Invasion. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, over to oh, you. Oh, to me. Well, Far From Home, I loved it. I didn't uh, love it as much as Home, Homecoming, for sure. Homecoming was mm. just such a perfect origin slash not an origin story for Spider-Man because we don't need any more origin stories. I think everybody can agree with that. It's great mm. that we find the first Spider-Man MCU film at a point where he's already become Spider-Man. He's got a little bit of experience mm-hmm. uh, experience from Civil War. So he it makes sense that he wants to build this new responsibility of becoming 
a hero bigger than what anybody else perceives him to be, especially what Tony Stark mm. perceives him to be. And then when we get into Far From Home, um, I love the fact that he's still down and out by the fact that he's lost Tony Stark. And that moment, mm. I'm actually getting chills thinking about it, <laughs> that moment when he's sitting in the plane with Happy and he said, I, I just miss oh, him. Yeah. And he's like in tears and he's all battered up. I was like, ah, I'm, I'm starting mm. to choke up already. I mean, I had enough of crying mm. when it came to Endgame. I don't really need to do more of that in Far From Home. But it's yeah. great how they pay homage to Tony constantly, especially in the first act. Like you see his his face everywhere. You see uh, graffiti mm. in homage to him and stuff mm. like that. And then the reminder mm. when Peter brings it up saying that he's he just misses him. And then Happy says, we all miss him. You know, I miss him too. And mm. and it's such a moment that it's just so essential to his character growing that he needs to accept that Tony is gone now. Take on the words mm. and the support that Tony has given him, especially the current, the ongoing support, even when he's dead with Edith and all the technology. Take that on and learn to become your own man in the future. Mm. And I mm. guess we're going to see a lot more of that in No Way Home. But Far From Home was great. I mean, it was fun. I love the fact that you get to go to different locations and see these characters literally get taken out of their comfort zone, out of the, away from the school, into a whole new territory. Um, really mm. easy um, storytelling to be done on that respect. But And I love Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Not my favorite villain. Definitely not the mm. most threatening villain out there. But I just love mm. Jake Gyllenhaal. And I think if he comes back, hope he, hopefully he does come back as Mysterio somehow. Maybe that's a surprise, you know, in No Way Home. Maybe he's like the sixth Sinister. Who knows? Mm. But um, well, it could be all the rest of them, you know? They just bring true, him true, back. True, true, true. They could bring... Mm. Like, I just love... Uh, he's he's one of my favorite working actors today, Jake Gyllenhaal. He's so good. He's so yeah. good. And this... this... Well, she was... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, what? Say that. I missed that. Say that again. I wish he was... <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I think we... Don't worry, the uh, producers yeah. are listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's there's not a lot that I do want to say about this because we kind of need to keep going. But um, uh, the only downside is the fact that the story just felt a little bit undercutted, undercutted or undercut, mm. I should say. Mm. Um, and there wasn't really, I, I wasn't that invested in the story. I was more invested in Spider-Man and his journey to dealing with the loss of Tony Stark and, and mm. trying to take on this new yeah. responsibility with defeating this guy. Um, that was more interesting than the story itself, but um, mm. yeah, that's 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 it for me from Far From Home. Shall we get into the mm. ranking real quick? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do this. So, so the way we should do this ranking is we should just go movie by movie, and then just when I say small elaboration <laughs> on the top five, just just keep it really really short so we can yeah. um, so we can wrap up this uh, TV uh, this episode. So you're going by the name, or are you going to go by the? We'll rank? go by the rank. So, go so, so okay. go rank, and then yeah, just say number thirty-one is so and so, and then go for so. Oh wow! Maybe work your way from the bottom, from the bottom to, the to the top. Bottom to, bottom top. to the top. Wow! Yeah, that okay. way it's yeah, you know, build building anticipation. You don't care about that. Then, and then I'll throw one of these in for like the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So who wants to start off? Nathan. <laughs> I'll, I'll kick it. I'll kick it off. I've I've ranked, but I've also placed things in tiers just okay. to give it a sense of like some things, even though they're next to each other. One's in a tier below, one's in a tier above. So my F tier, <laughs> there's three at the bottom, <laughs> starting with Thor, Dark oh, World, yes. <laughs> number thirty-one. All right, all right, all right, let's go. Then number thirty, The Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
29, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Not a fan. Not very memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'm moving on to my C tier. So these I would call my ordinary or mediocre <laughs> Black Widow. Black Widow. And then Iron Man 2. Oh, okay. Mm. Right. Yeah. Then I get into my B tier. And B tier are ones I would call fine. They're passable. I could watch them again. I don't really watch them often until I've watched all the ones I love. Uh, Ant-Man. Then Captain Marvel. Mm. Then Thor. Then Falcon and Winter Soldier. Ooh. Wait, wait, what, what number are we up to, right, the, by the way? Yeah, last time. Oh, uh, look, I'm, I, I'll, I'll tell you when okay, I get okay, to my okay, top okay. 10. Okay. <laughs> um, Thor, Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and then Loki. So that's all my B tiers. And yeah, again, I feel like Loki mm, just doesn't make it into my A tier. And A tier I call amazing superhero films. Okay, right. Mm. So... These are what I'd say are awesome, but they're not awesome source. <laughs> uh, Iron Man 3. Yep. Then Avengers Ultron. Oh, okay. Then Captain, then Captain America. Okay. Then What If. Wait, wait, Captain America, the first Avenger? First yep. Avenger, okay. yep. Uh, then What If. Then Doctor Strange. Mm. Uh, then I bring up to Shang-Chi. Then Hawkeye, but I probably might change that. Mm. Um, then Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, and then, to finish up the A-tier, Captain America Winter Soldier. Okay, so that was 11, right? So That's, that's uh, number 12. Oh, 12. Yeah, okay. number 12. And then number 11, this is in my S-tier film, so these, I, I consider all amazing <laughs> films. Okay. Uh, they're all great, regardless. Uh, number 11's Iron Man. Uh, and then... Top 10. Oh, okay. Here, Here we, we go. go. Hey, what's the... <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Here, what's the <laughs> drop off? Top 10. Top 10 for Nathan Sammy. Top 10. Here we go. Uh, number 10 is The Eternals. Number 9, Captain America Civil War. Number 8, The Avengers. Original number Avengers? Number 7. Yep, sorry. Yeah, Avengers. Uh, yeah, Avengers. Marvel's the Avengers, yeah, okay. Uh, then I have Guardians of the Galaxy number two. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I really like Guardians wow. too. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. And then these are my top five. Top five, Black Panther. Mm. Number four, Avengers Endgame. Mm. Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy volume mm. one. Number two, Spider-Man Homecoming. And... My number one, Avengers Infinity. Wow. That's all, I'm actually really <laughs> surprised. I'm really, really surprised. <laughs> Are you? Yeah, hang, yeah. On. hang on. Hang I can, on. I can, I can send you. I'll send you guys. Okay, okay, okay. Hang on. Wait, what number was Far From Home? And compare. What number was Far From Home? I put Far From Home pretty low down, to be honest. Wow. I put it in my A tier. Second in my A tier right. films. But That's... I like... Sorry, go on. It's, yeah, I know. I guess it is surprising. I, I think I was more surprised, but even just watching it last night, I'm like... All the films above it are so rewatchable yeah. for me. Like, and I don't almost put Winter Soldier into S tier. Amazing, I do love right. Winter Soldier a lot. And uh, Hawkeye, I could put at the top of A tier. I think so. Soon. Okay, like I was saying, because I was trying to, I was trying, I, I started numbering uh, the first oh, part, and then I oh, lost, yes, got yeah. lost in the middle. But then it's very similar to see that both your uh, low tier and your high tier are very similar to uh, mine. Maybe not exactly oh, the same. Cool. That's gonna be Not exactly. Okay, interesting. I'm, okay, yeah. why don't you just uh, go for it then, JC? 
Okay. Well, I thought you, I, I thought we'd go back to back, but okay. Um. All right. Starting at number thirty-one. Yeah. Captain Marvel. Oh, okay. Thirty. <laughs> that for me was one of the worst. That was one of the worst for me. Number thirty. Thor: The Dark World. Yeah. Cool. Twenty-nine. The Incredible Hulk. Twenty-eight. Falcon Winter Soldier. Oh. Twenty-seven. Oh. Iron Man Two. Uh, this will probably change, but 26, What If, 25, Black Widow, 24, Eternals, uh, hang on, yeah, sorry, 23, Thor, first, mm-hmm. uh, 22, 21, both Ant-Man films, Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp, and some, this is not that it, I found it really bad, it's just other things got pushed, pushed it down. Which do you dislike more? <laughs> Which one do I dislike more? <laughs> I need to know. It's, it's for our sake, man. We need to know. The fans need to know. The listeners need the to know. Fans. No, no, yeah, that's that's fair. Which one do I dislike more? I dis. Oh. Yellow Jacket was really bad for my. It was one of the most forgettable characters. Mm. So I'll say the original Ant Man was bad. However, like I was more saying, more forgettable Rupert, than Ghost. Say again. I said more forgettable than Ghost. Sorry, Ghost is pretty forgettable as well. But I actually had to think about, because I can at least remember Ghost's name. I, I couldn't actually yeah. remember Yellow Jacket's name. I had to look it up. Fair. So, yeah. but I was saying to, to River, like, I really like Michael Pena's character, because, like, that's, like, the comic relief in the whole the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Paul Rudd can yeah. carry, but I felt like uh, Michael Pena did a really good job. Um, number 20. Age of Ultron. I just found that boring as hell. <laughs> like, it was great, but it was just boring. <laughs> Uh, 19, Winter Soldier. 18, the, the original Iron Man. 17, Captain America, the first Avenger. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting a little, probably a little bit more interesting and, and controversial. 16, One Division. 15, Loki. Uh, 14, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange. 13, Hawkeye. Ruby's like going <laughs> against the, I can see him looking at you, the, the sheet. And I can like, feel his judgment through the screen. <laughs> so just to give you a bit of background, for those that can't see screens, uh, River is using a template that I came up with to, for this ranking, and uh, I colored everything in terms of tier. I like it. So I think River's, River's kind of gone and put his own ranking. I can't see it, but I can see he's moving up and down on that, on that, on that screen. That is true. Uh, <laughs> so we are at 14. So 14 was Doctor Strange. 13 is Hawkeye. Uh, why is that there? No, that shouldn't be there. So <laughs> I've got uh, Iron Man 3 is 12. That should be a lot lower. Um, because for me, like, <laughs> look, I, I get Sorry. that it was... It no, I know. It's, it's set in stone. Uh, 11 was Shang-Chi. And now we can hit yeah. the, the drum roll. Drum roll. Number 10. Number 10. The Avengers. So the original Avengers. Original Number 9. Homecoming. Mm. Number eight, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which for reference, uh, Nathan had number seven, right? Okay. I had number yep. eight. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yep. Number seven, we had Black Panther. Nathan had number five. Mm. Uh, number six for me was, sorry, number four. Sorry, I've lost count of where we are. <laughs> I'm looking at the row number and then I'm looking at my rank. So then we're at rank number six for me was Guardians of the Galaxy. Nathan had the third, uh, had a third. Then I had Thor Ragnarok as number five. Civil War is number four. Oh, nice. Far From Home, number three. Endgame, number two. Wow. wow. Number one is Infinity War. Wow. That's both yeah. of you guys, right? 
Yeah. Wow. It's it's hard to well, do Infinity War. We need to do a whole episode on all the Avengers films. Like just review all the Avengers films back oh, to back, so I can hear yeah. like your insights as to how you guys decided to For rank a those. hardcore three hour cast. So oh, I want to say, I know you wanted to talk about a little bit of a one liner for each one. So I did put a little thing, but I want to say about Infinity War. Um, mm. Everything led up to that point, right? The sequences, the coming together of all the characters, the culmination of the whole saga was building up to that point. And the hype for that movie was very real. Uh, um, I agree with that. I agree with yes. that. Like, because everything from, I think Thanos is introduced since the first Avengers, right? Right at the end of the post credit scene. It's like, if you can't do it, I'll do it myself. Yeah. Something exactly. like that. That was his yeah. line. And I was like, oh shit, the Infinity War is going to happen, you know? And that that was like, okay, everything was like, okay, we're waiting for what's going to happen next. That little, that little stinger is going to happen. And uh, yeah, when that came through, uh, that was amazing. I know the end game was probably not as favorable for some people because it felt like a big MacGuffin, but the tie-in and the uh, the tie-ups, I should probably say, for mm. that saga was greater than some other sagas. I'm looking at you, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, that was good to finish on oh. that because that could have ended really badly. Sure. And I think the Russo brothers did a really great job in tying all that together. Yeah. Um, anyway, wow, wow, man, we're uh, actually, wow. we're actually all pretty different. Well, no, I think you guys are, are very close to each other, but my one's probably quite different to you guys. I don't, I don't know okay. if you guys can see it very specifically, but I have my ranking up here. I can't see it too specifically. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, go back, go back, so it doesn't get spoiled for you. So I can just tell you. <laughs> I can see where I can see. Okay, I can see one. I can see one on your screen, right, but okay. uh, that's interesting. Um, okay, okay. Let, let me go through this really quick. So at number thirty-one. I have Thor the Dark World. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, deserves to be that there. That deserves to be there, exactly. <laughs> At number 30, I have Incredible Hulk. At number 29, yep. I have Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, at 28, I didn't want to lose 28, here we go. 28, I have Shang-Chi. <laughs> oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I have Eternals at 27. I have... Phase 4 is not getting a good exactly. look for me, uh, 26, I have Black Widow. Um, 25, I have Thor. 24, I have Captain Marvel, which is interesting. interesting. I think I probably should re-rank that, but I'm just going to settle for that. <laughs> I, kept, settle for that I was interchangeable with those two. Yeah. They're right next to Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. think they are. Um, at 23, I don't seem to have 23 here. Oh, yeah, I do. 23, I have <laughs> Avengers Age of Ultron. 22, mm. I have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So that's a big difference mm. for you guys. Um, mm. Number 20, <laughs> number twenty, I have Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, number 19, wow. I have Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, number... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I know, yeah. right? Wow. I, know. <laughs> I, know. I wonder if we can cast... I don't know if we can hang out anymore. <laughs> um, number 18, I have Iron Man 3. And then number 17, I have yeah. What If... Number 16, mm. I have Captain America First Avenger. Number 15, mm. I have Doctor Strange. And that actually hasn't changed its ranking, to be honest, like since, uh, since it came it's out. It's consistent with all mm. all of us. Like, that's like right, right in the middle. middle. Yeah. Strange is like it's not perfect. The, it's not the bad. It's, it's ordinary uh, MCU. Ordinary MCU. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, number 14, where am I? I'm losing number 14. I did this in the most terrible way, actually. Um, you should have just ranked it by number or sorted by number. I could have sorted it by number. 
Write a to-do list. So I just had a scrolling screen and I could just move things Yeah. Yeah. So just yeah, have numbers true. next to them. For some reason, I can't even find 14. Anyway, I'm just going to jump straight to 13. It's one division. Um, number 12 is Black Panther. And then number 11 is Ant-Man. And then getting into my top 10. Drum roll. This is the best yeah. top 10 you'll ever hear. Trust me. The best top 10 ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Number 10, we have Loki. Anything from my seat here. Mm. Number 9, we have Thor mm. Ragnarok. Number eight, we have mm. Spider-Man: Homecoming. Number seven, we have Guardians: Whoa. Galaxy Volume One. Uh, yeah. Number six, we have the first Iron Man. Number yeah, yeah, exactly. Number five, we have the Marvel's Avengers, which is respectively, uh, respectively in its number five spot because it was the fifth movie. Actually, it was the sixth movie that came out. Um, so I take that back. <laughs> number four, I have Captain America: Civil War. Number three, I have Avengers: Infinity War. Number two, this is a big surprise for you guys. I have Winter Soldier at number two. Okay, and then at number one, as you, you probably expect already, I have Avengers: Endgame. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Go back a second. I'm, I'm missing something here. So, where was Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel was oh, at next to Thor. number 14. Oh, sorry. No, okay. no, Captain Marvel was 24, sorry. But okay. I have the missing number 14. Oh, I see. I don't have something for Hawkeye. Did you yeah, Hawkeye? I, didn't, yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't put Hawkeye in the ranking because I haven't finished it. But I'm, I'm right. thinking Hawkeye is probably going to make the top 10 at some stage. Okay. Uh, wow. So yeah. I think I reserved that. It, it all depends on the end. For yes, me. true. It depends on how they pan out the next uh, five and six. But I think I instinctively reserved it at fourteen. That's probably why I didn't put fourteen in there. Mm. Yeah. But um, okay. yeah, for me, end game was just it, it was it was game over. Like it was too much of a home run for me. Um, mm. And I I rated that so high at number one simply because of how emotional I was in that film. There's there's been no other film that has made me cry and connect that much to the six characters that we were introduced with back in 2008, all the way up to 2012 at the culmination of Avengers. And then getting to Endgame, it was just the most perfect swan song that I've ever seen for characters come full circle. And I, mm. and, and I've always thought about doing a dissertation on Thor, Thor's character arc, Tony Stark's character arc and Captain America's character arc because these are the three characters where the vast majority yeah. of the phase or Infinity Saga is um, sitting on. It's sitting on the shoulders of these three characters. And I can talk days upon days of how their arcs go from point A to point B. But um, yeah, that's why I put yeah. Avengers Endgame there because I literally rated it because of the way I felt and the kind of emotions I was feeling throughout that film. I loved, I loved the three of them. How do we do this? We, we take, take them together. together. Like mm. that. And that's Far actually out. a very yeah, good callback so good. to the first Avengers where they were all, all three of them were on opposite ends at odds, at odds to each other, right? Yep. In the Shakespeare mm. in the yep. Forest scene. Yeah. Uh, which I love. Which is one of the best scenes of that, <laughs> that movie. But um yeah, I mean that's that's our super ranking right there. You know, we're we're reaching a, <laughs> a runtime of three hours and seventeen minutes. This is pretty much a whole Avengers movie. But um <laughs> Like so to, to just close this off, because I guess we, we can't really get into No Way Home because we're just going to be here forever. It's going to be like a six-hour podcast mm. otherwise. What are your quick expectations? <laughs> what are your quick expectations? Oh, this is probably like the wrong question to ask you guys there. What are your expectations? Your very quick 
two minute expe- expectations on uh no Spider-Man. this is going to be another another three hours okay okay uh, put, it, put it this man. way we'll put it this way we the amount of speculations and the amount of commentary around what could be happening in this film and especially with the villain reveals that we already have given the trailers and all the interviews that are happening given all like like the sandstorm of theories that are going on aside from that let's just like take this in a different direction a different direction to what viewer uh listeners are probably expecting us to go in but going into a different direction what are you wanting to see regardless of the theories what are you wanting what are you hoping that um to see by the end of this film where is tom holland like where is peter parker by the end of this film i think that's a better question Ooh. Don't let it spin into <laughs> rabbit hole. Of I don't have it. No, I just don't have an answer for that. Yeah. Because Do you want to go, Chase? Or... All, all I want to say is what I want to see, and I know this is probably going to happen. I'm, I'm trying not to have as much as we've seen all the TV spots, or I have. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I've avoided it. I, I, I just well want to be surprised. And, I, and I'm saying that based off what Holland has said. Um, like what they've achieved with this movie is amazing things, right? And you know, mm-hmm. Holland's n- known for spoiling stuff, so the fact that he hasn't spoiled something is amazing. And even if you look at that, um, when they were previewing the trailer, and there's that meme that came out. He says, "Where's the?" And then you see Feige's face in the background, <laughs> like giving him that scornful eye. Yeah. Um, I- I- I'm just hoping to be surprised. That's all, uh, that's and good. that's like that's that. all I want to go in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think with that, you know without having any expectations now, it's just like, okay, we've seen the trailer. Let's just leave it at that. Let's let go in without any expectations and hopefully come out pleasantly surprised and not disappointed. I love that. Nate, Nathan? Yeah. <laughs> you, you desperately <laughs> want to get into it. Really no, it's, it's really hard, man. But I, um, I think for me, I will be incredibly satisfied if there is some form of resolution in the same way that I think, until now, nothing has no 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 other superhero in the franchise has had the same staying power as Spider Man since Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. Mm. So, I think whatever happens with the third Spider Man, and just from everything that this is, it's also got the makings of what Civil War was for like the next step in the trajectory for mm. the the franchise. It's it's I think everything that I've been frustrated with Phase Four about is that all of the build-up won't be to lead on to something else, but to actually have some form of combination. And so I'm really excited to see some sense of um, a large growth that you'll see moving Spider-Man forward, but also a sense of growth that'll be very satisfying for the here and now. And I think like him getting snapped um, through Infinity Wars and into Endgame does like just lend itself to he's had some delay of growth and you feel that in Far From Home, mm-hmm. I think this will be a movie where that kind of sense of maturity finally like yep. hits. And that's what I'm most excited for, for Tom Holland's Spider-Man character. I don't want to see Garfield or Maguire. I, I'm, as in, <laughs> they'd be great. I, I kind of don't want to see them there. I feel like they're going to... Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> you just... You just yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather them not be by there. By saying that you don't want to see Garfield and, and Maguire in this. I know. Um, yeah, it's true. I, I, I Sorry, mean, I think guys. I feel the same about this. I mean, this, there's just way too many theories to talk about when it comes from comes mm. to this type of project that the MCU is relying on to be probably their greatest um, entry into Phase 4. Because I'm assuming 
by the time we get to, let's say, the end of next year or the beginning of next year, that's going to be the end of Phase 4, I'm assuming, because there's already so many titles in Phase 4. Um, and then they need to leap into the new phase, whatever that might be. And that might be just a turn of a major growing story arc that we're still unfamiliar with. You know, if we look at phase four now and we compare this to phase one, phase one had a through line, which was the infinity mm. stones. And eventually we tapped into, into that through line by the time we got to the first Avengers. But then in phase four, we just have no idea. There's just way too many stories going in all sorts of different directions. We don't really see mm. that same kind of MacGuffin uh, parallel to what phase one is. So, like multiverse is the multiverse word. is the yeah, word. I think, yeah. Phase one, yeah. but there's we, we don't know like, what yeah. that objective is. Like, what what is the objective yeah. beyond all of these crazy stories happening? So, for me, like the expectations here for um, what I would like to see in Far From Home is really I just want to see. Tom Holland have a really good ending, a really, really good ending to his arc. Cause you know, his character arc is going to be sort of a three character, like sort of a three story, a, a trilogy arc, a classic trilogy arc. Mm-hmm. Anything beyond that is going to just contribute to greater films or greater TV series. Right. Mm. Yep. So that's all I really want to see. I mean, I don't, I want to see all the great things that everybody's theorizing, but I just want a good movie. Show me that Marissa Tomei is not going to be a little bit useless in this. I mean, I'm not saying she's useless in the other films, but we just, <laughs> I want to see her involvement more, right? Yeah. And I just want to see these characters all come together and show us very critical moments where they're all super depressed, very, very much challenged, and lots of drama going on, and then get us to some kind of climactic ending by there, you know? So mm-hmm. that's all I really want to see. Mm. So, so it's not too much. Not too much to ask, right? You know, <laughs> we're all seeing it on opening night. We're all seeing, seeing it at the twenty twenty, uh, the twelve oh one screening, midnight screening. Um, yeah. Any last thoughts on Phase Four, or any last thoughts on Spider Man No Way Home? Do you guys have any, uh, let's say, any advice to anybody that's going into this, perhaps that has no nothing, like no knowledge or no influence on the MCU? What just advice in general? Just buy some damn popcorn for the movie. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, no. Just make sure if you're doing a midnight screening like us, you have some good rest and you don't have a full bladder going into this film. <laughs> yeah. That's really good advice. Uh, like that's, that's good yeah. advice. And my, my only piece of Get advice hyped. is like, take everything that you've heard today as a grain of salt. You know, go in and just enjoy the film. Enjoy all the MCU content. Um, and I think that's the best advice you can give anybody. And we eventually made it to the end, and there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't actually go through. But big shout out to these boys, and I'm going to get these guys back on the podcast again, knowing that it's probably not going to be three hours. Um, but thank you so much, you boys. Um, say goodbye to everybody listening. See you guys, Thanks, guys. Have a good night. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Thank you. And we'll see you guys at the end of Spider Man No Way Home. Hey everyone, thank you for listening in on this episode. If there's more MCU content you'd like me to cover, feel free to hit me up in my direct messages. You can find me on Instagram at LegitCoolPodcast and on Facebook, LegitCoolMovieReviews. Hit the notification button so you know when the next episode drops. I'll see you guys then.